Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Reilly to the blue line, Letty with a drive, he scores! Letty, his first is a blue! Pedersen into the circle, nice play, swept away, and Thomas with some speed! He'll go in on a breakaway! Thomas shoots, he scores! Short-handed goal for Robert Thomas! Perron, running out of some room, backs up, gets a little more space, goal line, center, they score! Ryan O'Reilly from a one-touch pass from Braden Shin. Power play goal, St. Louis in a 3-2 lead. Falk in, shooting, Walker, he scores! Nathan Walker has given the Blues a 4-2 lead. And bring out the Zamboni. 4-3 win in Vancouver tonight. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Vancouver Canucks must hate going up against this Blues team. Yeah, they do. Because they always get the best version of them. The Blues win again last night, 4-3. to three. They have outscored Vancouver in their last two games, 8-4. to four. And honestly, that's even a little misleading. Because last night, the Blues kicked their ass. They Whoa. flat out outplayed the Vancouver Canucks from start to finish. It was one of the more impressive games that I've seen the Blues play so far this year. I know what the final shot totals indicate where it was the Vancouver Canucks out out shooting the Blues 25-24. For the vast majority of that game, the Canucks, I think, went into the third period. Alex, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think it was like 13 shots by the Canucks going into the third period. The Blues had played excellent defense up to that point. They had been consistently cycling the puck in the offensive zone. That was Blues hockey again. Now, here's my question to you. Is it because the Blues were playing the Canucks? Are the Blues just a really bad matchup for them? And we've seen it two straight games, so it looked great. Or is this actually something real that the Blues figured out in that Carolina game? Oh, we got to get going here. This is the eye opener that we needed. What's going on in your mind over the last couple of games with the Blues? Well, I think it's a couple of things. First of all, I think it is still to be determined if this is the the, the real Blues because I mean, only once since the middle of February have the Blues put together a string of victories. This is the second time they've done it. They have not had more than two wins put together since mid-February. So they've got to build a little bit more consistency with this. But one, I think personally, the Blues wake-up call was against the Carolina Hurricanes. I think they realized there's less than 20 games left to go. 
we were pushed out of a playoff spot after that loss. You were sitting in a wild card spot. And I think a, a flip switched for this team that was, we've got to start being consistent with our brand. And I know I can say this and, oh, they said this before and look what happened. That's the middle of January. That's February. Still have a lot of games to be played. I think you can smell playoffs right now if you're the Blues. But with that being said, I do think this goes back towards the hatred of the Vancouver Canucks. Marco Scandella said it. Ryan O'Reilly backed it up after Marco said it, that they had a little sour taste in their mouth because this is the first stretch of games that they played against Vancouver since that bubble exit. And if you think about it, Vancouver were the ones that kicked the Blues out of the playoffs. Basically, the Blues just kicked Vancouver out of the playoffs because they were sitting four points out of a playoff spot. Now, they still can get in if the Pacific is just as awful as they've been for a while. But I think there was a little bit more hatred that played into these last couple of games. But you've got a taste of playoff hockey now. You've got a taste. That was as identical to playoff hockey as you can ask at this point of the season. And we talked about it a couple of days ago. You got to find ways to shake off bad habits and it takes some games to do it. I thought they shook it off for two of three periods against Vancouver on Monday. I thought they shook it off for three total periods last night against this Canucks team. Yeah, and I I thought it was... I'm not going to buy too much into it because I want to see it, like you said, Alex, a little bit more consistently. If they can play like this, these last two games against Vancouver in their back-to-back against uh, Calgary and Edmonton, then I'll be a little bit more sold on, okay, the Blues have finally gotten back into playoff hockey because that's against legitimate playoff hockey teams right there. Vancouver's not in. I get up there in the race, but they're not in. I think the Blues just match up really well against Vancouver. So I read into it a little bit as, okay, it's just a good matchup for the Blues. They took care of business. If they can play this way and play like the first two periods were fantastic for the Blues because the defense was really solid last night. If they can play like that against really good teams in Calgary and Edmonton, then I'll be sold that they're back into this playoff mode. But right now, I'm not, I just can't buy into it because I haven't seen it consistently enough. I think these next two games are going to be really telling for the Blues. Bruce Boudreaux yesterday. I still have trouble saying that name uh, said after the game that the Vancouver Canucks looked like a team that had played five games in eight days. Well, guess what? The Blues are about to play five games in eight days. Oh, that's not good. Well, that's what you're about to see is they play on Friday night. They play on Saturday and they do so on the road once again against Edmonton and Calgary. Those are teams that are going to take advantage if you are not on the top of your <clears> game. If the Blues play in those two the way that they did in the last two, they're going to have every opportunity to win. Maybe they don't come out because Puck Clock ends up going against them instead of Marco Scandella being in front of the net and putting one in. Maybe it's uh, Matthew Kachuk against Calgary that's doing the exact same thing against you. That happens sometimes, and you don't get the breaks, and you have a power play that goes against you, or like last night, Vancouver. What Vancouver's saying today is they got screwed because there should have been a penalty called with about a minute to go. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, Vancouver. I'm with you. But that was a break that went against Vancouver over the last couple of weeks. That's the kind of call that went against the Blues and they didn't get it. And then they end up saying, hey, you know, if we could have had that, I think we would have had a different outcome in the game. But now it's going for them. The the game before the Scandella thing goes in favor of them. Some of that is you're making your own luck. The Blues were up. And so when they don't get that call, Vancouver doesn't. It feels worse for them if the Blues were in. The reverse situation, it would have felt different, you know? So that's the way that it goes sometimes. But they got to continue playing this way. Against Edmonton, against Calgary, you got to sustain this level of play. I'm not all the way back in yet. I'm like JR when he said earlier this week, I need to see a couple of weeks of the Blues playing at a high level again for me to really buy back into this team as a legitimate contender. I think they're really good. But we knew the Blues were really good. 
The question is, can they actually play to that level consistently? Because they're going to have to in the playoffs with the way that this Western Conference playoff race is setting up. And right now, I need to see him do it against two more playoff teams in Edmonton and Calgary. Yeah, you got to get three or four points, I think, in these next two games uh, for me to, to be back in on this. Although, I was feeling more back in after watching them play last night because I don't know about you guys. I was tweeting these these uh, heat maps out on Twitter last night because I was so impressed. The Blues did two things that they have not done consistently all season long. Eliminate pressure in front of their own net and basically stick it to the opposition's defenseman in front of their net. The Blues were parked. They had this black-blue heat map in front of Thatcher Demko and it was because very good thing. Very good thing, T-Bone. Black, blue. Good Very good. Thing. Got it. They were parked in front of him. Like, all of their goals came from just work in front of the net, and that's backing up how Marco Scandella scored that first goal of the game on Monday. And I don't know about you guys, I was more impressed defensively. I mean, because Vancouver was a team, Joey mentioned it on pregame. He talked with Oliver ekman Larson, and they said they were going to be playing in a ticked-off style of, of hockey. And I thought Vancouver came out with that in the first five minutes. They brought it to the Blues. But not once until the third period, probably the last 10 minutes of that third period, did Vancouver get pressure in front of Villahuso. They were out wide. The Blues kept them from the front of the net. And to me, that's playoff style hockey. Like, you're going to play big boy style. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to get physical. The Blues were able to play with that hitting prowess on the ice. But they didn't allow Vancouver to take advantage of them in front of the net. And I thought that was really impactful for me to say, okay, you're starting to see something. Even there, though, I thought it was a little too inconsistent last night. Uh, The goal that... I can't remember Pedersen. which one it was. Pedersen scored right in front of the net. Oh. Nobody there for him. Letty gets stuck underneath. Pareko drops down, and you've got nobody in front of him, and it's just a clean shot on the net. But those are mistakes, and you're going to have those slip-ups at some point, but that's where you need your goaltender to save you. And I thought Huso did that a couple of times yesterday as well. Absolutely, and that that's the biggest thing for me is Ville Huso saved you again. There were a couple of moments last night. There was one right towards the very end where it was a clean look on Ville Huso. And just hit him, he grabbed it, boom, you're done. That is the kind of thing they hadn't been getting of late. In Ville so you look at the overall numbers last night, it didn't look numbers-wise like he had a great game, but any of us that were watching the game can tell you, man, he was awesome. Made the key saves that you needed. Mm -hmm. His save percentage last night was no different than it has been for the last month. It was 88%. That's right where he's been. But all you need to do is make enough saves to give your team a chance. It's almost like a pitcher that's able to give you six innings of three earned runs against you. Like this, this is why the Cardinals signed Steven Matz, right? To eat the innings, to give you an opportunity to win at the end of the game. That's what Billy Huso did last night. It wasn't an all-star performance. It wasn't reminiscent of what he was at his peak this year where he was stopping everything that was shot against him. But it was pretty darn good. And that's all you need. If you can get the team playing better in front of him and you get at Alexi Torpchenko playing the way that he did last night, Robert Thomas stepping up as the number one centerman that he is. Yeah, we'll address that later. Ryan O'Reilly having another good game. David Perron looked excellent last night. Vladimir Tarasenko, by the way. Oh, he was on a heater. He was on a heater. What has gotten into him the last two games? This is as physical as I've seen him play in a uh, again, long time, dude. I, I think it was that Carolina Hurricanes game. That was statistically one of the worst games Vladimir Tarasenko has had all season long. He was a minus four, and I believe he didn't have a shot on goal against Carolina. You get ticked off when you play bad and when you get called out. And I don't know what's going on in that locker room, but Bernie Federko, who was on with Carriker and Smallman a couple of days ago, he basically said, I don't know what happens in the locker room, but I can tell you from experience 
guys hold players accountable when things aren't going well. In a game like Carolina, you would expect somebody to come up to a player and say, hey, you need to be better in this area. And Vladimir Tarasenko, it's not just offensively. The guy is back checking, he's playing defense, and he is finishing checks. I mean, he is a big boy out there, and he is following through with some of those hits, which creates opportunities and space. And it's not even just the hits, it's the physical play going to the net. I remember there was one breakaway last night. Jamie broke it down excellent on the on the broadcast, but uh, he, he was just... It was the classic Vladimir Tarasenko play where he goes in wide and he drags the puck alongside him and he's got the perfect situation where he's almost screening the defender from the puck with his backside and he just gives himself a shot on net. Like it's just a free shot and there's nothing the defender can do about it because if he tries to hook him, it's taking a penalty there and if he drags him to the ground, you got a penalty there. There's nothing you can do because Vladdy's so damn strong. It's similar to what he did the other night. I can't remember what the exact play was, but it was also against Vancouver the last game where he just basically drove through a defender. Yeah, that was against um that was against Dermot as he hit him behind the net and then Tyler Myers came in and hit him. And then that when Vladdy got into the extracurriculars, they had like four different dudes at him. And he was like, I'm not going down again. This team, when they play pissed off, they are very difficult to play against. And that's why I said a couple of days ago, they need to have the Michael Jordan mentality. They need to think that the other side is making your mom jokes nonstop (laughs) coming into puck drop so that they come out there and dominate because I I really think that's where this team can take advantage of opportunities. Let me ask you guys this because we got this uh, question on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Any concerns about Kairou? The fact that he was not in the lineup and that was a really good defensive game by the Blues? I'm not going to pretend as if I didn't notice it. I'll say that concerns. No, not yet. If it reverts back to the previous style of play against Edmonton and Calgary. And then the biggest test really for me is when they play Arizona and Seattle, if they revert back to not caring and they go in there and just think that because they're the blues and the other teams are Arizona and Seattle, they're going to go in there and win. Then they lose three to one in those games. Okay. Yeah. That then I will be concerned. But as of right now, my level of concern is relatively low. If over the next four games he's back and they don't look good once again, I'm not going to say it's causation, but it's certainly correlation. And that would give me a little bit of pause, certainly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't read. I, I saw it too. It was noticeable, but I wouldn't read too much into it. I would need to see a bigger sample size without Jordan Cairo and then see the sample with him back in the lineup because this could have just been one of those games where the Blues just played on all cylinders, played really well, and then they could play tomorrow against Edmonton. And if Cairo's not in the lineup, and I expect he will because it was an illness, but if he wasn't in the lineup, they could revert back to the mold selves even without him in the lineup. I would need to see a bigger sample size. Like it or not, the Blues need him in the lineup definitely because he is a offensive effective player but also like it or not and i said this on post game last night for some odd reason every time this blues team loses an impactful player offensively they seem to play a lot more of a simple brand of hockey that's all i'll say with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley coming up in about 15 minutes or so the cardinals apparently have a top five shortstop situation in the national league that's not my <laughs> Good thoughts one that's according to one prominent national baseball outlet we'll tell you why coming up dom again at 11:30. basically the baseball equivalent oh. of dom coming Boo. up next though the blues clearly have their number one goalie for the rest of the season what does that mean for the offseason we'll talk about that next here on 101 espn we're right back 
to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. it into Pearson. Big save. Left leg of Huso. Denying the Tanner Pearson shot. And here's 314 to go. Hughes to Pedersen. Straight away. They shoot. And Huso the save. Canucks enter the blue zone. Down by one. They center. They shoot. And it glob save. Huso. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like last night as the Blues take down the Vancouver Canucks for a second straight game, 4-3. to Ville Husso, pretty good last night. Not excellent, but pretty darn good. Got the job done and allowed them to have the opportunity to win in the end. Alex, the bigger story, though, is not his performance from last night, but the fact that he started the game last night. We were talking about this after Monday night's game, and we both agreed. You probably go back to Ville Husso there. You probably go with... Jordan Bennington on Friday night, and then Ville Husso gets the start on Saturday in Calgary. And man, this is this this is what we've been talking about is eventually the Blues have to make a determination. Who is their number one goalie? Well, they've made that determination. Six of their last seven games, Ville Husso's been the starter. Eight of the last ten, Ville Husso has been the guy that's getting the start in net. They are officially into what the schedule was in 2019 between Bennington and Allen, but this time it's reverse. Huso has the Bennington role. Bennington has the Jake Allen role. We wondered if that would end up being the case, and now I think the Blues have officially made their decision. Ville Huso, they're living or dying with that guy in net this year. I think you have to if you're Craig Berube, and Craig Berube for the longest time has uh, stuck with the comments about his goaltending that we have a schedule and we're going to stick with it, and I think he broke that comment uh, after the Monday game when they asked him about Huso playing in that. And he said, look, Ville played good against Vancouver, which was back in December or January, and we wanted to see him again. So there was no schedule there. You had the scheduled days off to where you could have gone to Bennington and then Huso and then Bennington, but you went to Ville Huso. You said it. Six of seven, eight of the last ten have been Ville Huso in between the pipes. They basically have, have showed their hands here. They have said, without saying, Ville Huso is our guy unless something happens. And for Ville Huso, it's right. I mean, you have to have points right now. You cannot go on another spell where you lose four of the next six games. Because if you do, you're out of the playoffs. And you're chasing to get back in. And you're going to have to be chasing against teams like the Boston Bruins, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Minnesota Wild, the Nashville Predators. Those aren't easy games to chase. Mackenzie McEachern said it yesterday postgame with Curbs and Joey. It's good to get the first win on a road trip because you don't have to look behind you and say, oh, we lost that one, now we got to win. you got to have Ville Husso in. And I understand you're going to have to play Bennington tomorrow night, which sounds so negative to say you're going to have to play him. But you're going to have to use Bennington in back-to-backs. And if I'm looking at this correctly, you're going to have Bennington play four more games the rest of the season. It's going to be against Edmonton. It's going to be against the Islanders. It's going to be against Minnesota and Nashville. And it's going to be against Arizona or Anaheim. I think you'll probably see five to six. I think there will be some games where they throw him out there just to get a rest. 
Interesting. I, because I think they're building now Ville Husso for playoffs. And I think you just need points so desperately you have to. That, but think about it. I mean, they're all, this is a playoff schedule, and Ville Husso has never performed in the playoffs for you. He's That's never gone point. through this schedule. When was the last time Ville Husso had a full starter schedule? I mean, it's been probably, what, three years now because you had the pandemic season? Probably in the minors, but he's had injuries throughout. Yeah, I mean, he has never played a full season as a uh, professional goaltender. Right. Uh, 2019, 2020, he played 42 games. I would say that's probably the closest he had to a full schedule, 38 in 2017, 2018. He's never done this at the NHL level. So in my opinion, the Blues are building him for the playoffs. He's going to play every other game except for back-to-backs. Ville Husso is at, what is he at right now in terms of games played? He's at 30 30 games played so far this year. He's probably going to set a career high, and I'm not talking about NHL high. I'm talking about in his career the most game started that he's ever had in any individual season. I think right now his high, his high in his career is 42 in 2019-2020 with the San Antonio Rampage. He's going to get more than that this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, they have, what, 17 games remaining this year? Is that right? Um, and he's probably going to get about 12 of those, so that would put you at 42. And then anything they play in the playoffs, that's going to exceed his career high so far. So it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to that. Now that the Blues have made that decision, Alex, and I think we're all in agreement, he's their guy now. They're they're going, if they're going to sink, they're going down with Ville Husso as their captain. What does that mean for Jordan Bennington? Not just for the rest of this year. Like, you can kind of write that off at this point. The guy is not a unrestricted free agent this upcoming offseason. This isn't like the Matt Carpenter situation where you sit him on the bench and you're like, ah, well, it's too bad that it didn't work out. We'll see you down the road. We're going to go our separates in the offseason. Same thing with Carlos Martinez. Ah, it's too bad that you got hurt. You can go ahead and sit off to the side. Go go play (laughs) elsewhere in the future. (laughs) Jordan Bennington is potentially going to be your guy again next year if you don't trade him. What's the plan there? That's that's going to be the no pun intended, $6 million question going into this upcoming offseason because if the rumors are true from Frank Saravalli and Doug Armstrong shot those down, but you would expect him to shoot those down, they were checking the landscape to see if there was anything out there for Jordan Bennington. I don't think this is it for Jordan Bennington. I think Jordan Bennington is going to be fine. Uh, They've had this in the past in the NHL where a goaltender has had his job taken over in the regular season, in the postseason, and then they've gone right back to him. It's happened in Chicago with Corey Crawford. Corey Crawford lost his job for a series. The Cup was uh, or the Blackhawks went on to win the cup and then they moved on from him. Heck, the Blackhawks did it with Antti Niemi. Niemi won them a Stanley Cup and they moved on from him and then they went back to Corey Crawford and Corey Crawford, of course, won them two more Stanley Cups. So this has happened, but I mean, you got a lot of soul searching, I guess, to do if you're Doug Armstrong to find out, do we trust Jordan Bennington going into next season and beyond? Because if we feel like our Stanley Cup window is opening even wider, with possible the the acquisition of a Matthew Kachuk, you got to make sure you have the right goaltender. And if you let Ville Husso walk, you could be letting a guy who could go on to have a really good career walk. So there's some real soul searching. Can I give you guys a tinfoil, though, Please. and tell me if I'm crazy with this? Not you, Tanner, because you just think I'm crazy. Jordan Bennington. Is it possible that they're working this schedule in favor of Ville Husso to try and protect the trade asset here because Ville Husso has had a rough schedule, but Ville Husso has not been awful in his last five, five starts. I mean, you probably go back to that New Jersey Devils game was the last time he looked bad. 
Is it possible that you think that they're protecting their assets here in terms of the offseason? I think it's past that point. I don't think that there's anything at this point that Bennington could do that would change the way that anybody feels about him, both good or bad. I mean, down the stretch, if he was, I mean, if he went on a playoff run, don't get me wrong, of course, that would change the way that people Mm -hmm. feel about him, including the Blues, and then he would just be here for the remainder of that deal, or at least for next year. But I don't think that within reason, Bennington can really change the opinion of anybody. If there were people that heard that the Blues might be interested in trading Bennington at the deadline and they considered trading for him... Well, then you're going to have that takers in the offseason, whether you continue playing him or not. So I, I would say no. I don't think that's why they're doing this. I tend to lead more in the side of where Tanner was coming from, where there's just so much urgency because of how tight this Western Conference playoff race is that you've got to continue sticking with Ville Husso. And the byproduct of that is you're not playing Bennington as often. But I, I think it's fair to wonder I don't think that's why they're doing this, and I don't think that it has a significant impact on his value. I do understand the question. Because if you trusted him, and I'm not saying they don't trust him, and look, this is just the tinfoil meek thinking crazy here because I also have a tinfoil that thinks I'll see him in the playoffs at some point because that's just how crazy this season has gone. I don't like that tinfoil. Okay, I told you not to tell me I was crazy here, T-Bone. But, like, if you, if, if you felt like he could win you games, you would have played against Vancouver on Monday. Like... I just or last I, night or last night. I'm just I'm really curious about this just because you know what you have in Jordan Bennington and anybody you talk to will tell you like the guy's won a Stanley Cup. He's going to be fine. But it's just really interesting to me that if he was being tr- possibly traded at the trade deadline and since that trade deadline, I think he's only got two starts. I'm a little I'm a little interested just to kind of what the view is from Doug Armstrong on this. I think it has less to do with protecting the asset in terms of what you could get in the offseason and more to do with what you said, which is they don't trust him. I think the Blues viewed Ville Husso as being a better option to win them games right now. And I know that's not some breaking news, but that's why they're playing Ville Husso. I think it is really that simple. I, I think that when you listen to the Cardinals, they will tell you like, hey, our goal this year is to win, and we believe Albert Pujols will help us to that end. You can believe them or not, but that's where they're coming from with that signing, and they're going to play him accordingly. The Blues, their stated mission in this five-year stretch is to win as many cups as they can in this window. They believe right now Ville Husso gives them the best opportunity to do that right now. So he's the one that's getting the starts. And we knew they were going to have to make a decision. It was going to happen at some point. And our question was, when do you have to make that decision? Mm -hmm. At what point? What is the timeline in which you've got to decide who our number one goalie is? Well, the answer was apparently March 10th. That was the timeline. They needed about six to seven weeks remaining in the schedule when they wanted one guy to be able to really get that runway. And they've made their choice. They've made their choice and they're going with Ville Husso. He's going to be their guy. Yeah, and, I, and I'm looking at the free agencies or free agent goaltenders for this upcoming offseason. And no matter what, whether you're protecting Bennington as an asset or not, someone would be desperate enough, I think, to make a move for him because I'm looking at these goaltenders yeah, and they? I go, who well, are Marc-Andre Fleury, okay. he's the number one guy, but I would I would expect he may go back to Minnesota. Or he goes to Vegas. Or Vegas again. <laughs> and again, I'm only looking at their cap hit for this year. Uh, then you've got Miko Koskinen, uh, Darcy Kemper, Thomas Grice, uh, Jonas Corpusara. It's uh, basically last year's Corpusala. Yeah, it's I mean, very similar to what they what you saw last Andre year. It's Mark Andre Fleury, and then it's everything else. Basically, teams, and that's a great point, T Bone. Teams are going to see. By Mark the way, Andre, Billy Husso. 
Yeah, Ville Husso. Well, he's not okay. I sorted him by cap hit. He's <laughs> yeah. so low in the cap hit from these other People guys. Are, teams that need goaltending help: Edmonton, New Jersey, um, Toronto. Technically, depending on what happens in the playoffs, they're going to see Mark Andre Fleury, and then we're going to have to go to the trade market because there's not a lot of guys that are number ones out there. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get some questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line, and one of the questions that we want to ask, get to in that segment is. Man, did you guys see that explosive story from Bob Nightingale earlier today over on USA Today about Mike Schilt? We will talk about that coming up at 1145. But next, the Cardinals, top five shortstop situation in the National League. I know Tanner disagrees with it, but at least one national outlet seems to see it that way. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. shortstops rank if you're just going by positional value their shortstops where do they rank in the national league alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendricks and i'm brandon kiley i think a lot of our text line 65780 is the air comfort service text line we'll get some questions and answers coming up here in about 10 minutes or so a lot of our texters would say ah bottom five Bottom five in the National League is just kind of your off-the-cuff response. To I that, don't right? think those people know what the National League looks like in terms of shortstops. They probably forgot about Pittsburgh. <laughs> According to fan graphs, <laughs> Pittsburgh forgot about Pittsburgh. According to fan graphs, According to fan graphs, Cardinals top five National yeah. League shortstop situation. Good one. <laughs> I will go <laughs> ahead really and give you the teams that they think are better. What's it? What's it really, BK? The Dodgers are one in the National League. That makes sense. Trey Turner's good. The Mets are two. Francisco Lindor. I like Lindor. He's been good in spring. The Padres are three. And this is a combination of Kim and Fernando Tatis Jr. Because we don't know how many games Fernando Tatis Jr. will play. Padres should be number one. It should just be Tatis. Yeah. Padres should be number one. But okay. The Milwaukee Brewers are number four with Willie Adamas. And number five is the St. Louis Cardinals ahead of the Giants, ahead of the Pirates, Miami, Atlanta, Philly, Chicago, Cincinnati. Ahead of all of them, the Cardinals are fifth place in the National League in shortstop positional value. Well, that's cute. That's just not right. Does this at all <laughs> That's just not right. change the way that you view the Cardinals' shortstop situation? And I know a lot of people will say, yeah, because the National League just doesn't have a whole lot of good shortstops. They're also 12th in all of baseball. So it's not as if they're like That's not right 20th in the, in, in the MLB and 5th in the National League. Kind of like if you had an AFC quarter or NFC quarterback, rather, that was fine. Like the 5th best quarterback in the NFC might be the 20th best quarterback in the league this year. The Cardinals are 12th in baseball. When it comes to wins above replacement that are expected out of their shortstop situation, Alex, how does this play into your expectations for that spot? I mean, it all? definitely changes things because Fangraphs is excited and Fangraphs is always right, correct? Okay. Just like Dom is when it comes to analytics for uh, NHL players, always seems to be right. I can't believe you hate Dom. I know. I'm sorry about that. I mean, look, I don't know if I would have. And I understand it's Paul DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa, but I mean, let's be frank here. It's Paul DeYoung because Edmundo Sosa is not going to be seeing a whole lot of playing time as an everyday shortstop unless something happens to Paul DeYoung. And that's how they have it projected as well. They have Paul DeYoung getting 530 plate appearances this year at shortstop and Edmundo Sosa getting 140. So they're basically saying Paul DeYoung is your everyday starter. I mean, for me, all of the teams that are ahead of them make a lot of sense. 
I personally, and T-Bone, we talked about this in the office, I would have Brandon Crawford ahead of Paul DeYoung, especially from what we saw last season, and he's always consistent with defense and offense. And then I think it's kind of a combination of you can pick or choose, and I'd give the slight edge to Dansby Swanson over Paul DeYoung just from the last couple of seasons. Man, I'm telling you, I, I just think Dansby Swanson is not very good. But the last couple of seasons, he's been consistent offensively and defensively. And what has Paul DeYoung not been? Consistent. That's fair. But, I mean, Dansby Swanson, even as a, a consistent, quote-unquote, offensive player, last year he had a 310 on base percentage. And he finished the year with an OPS plus that was below league average. Like he hasn't been all that impressive either. If you're looking at, let me put it this way over the last two years, Harrison Bader has been a better hitter than Dansby Swanson has. I think a lot of Cardinals fans would hear that and would say to themselves, Oh, the Dansby Swanson is not a very good hitter. The reality is he's about league average. He's fine. He's not great, but he's about league average. And I think that if you're looking at Paul DeYoung, he has at least the upside, whether you believe it or not, he has the upside to be significantly above league average. So I think that's where the Cardinals would come from. And also, I think he's just a better defender than Dansby Swanson is. Yeah, see, I would still take Dansby Swanson over Paul Young just because, I mean, you look at his numbers last year, he was clearly better. And I and I get it where these projections are coming from. They're kind of taking these guys' career and then they're kind of simulating it towards how they think they're going to perform this season. I would still take Dansby Swanson over him. I would take Brandon Croft over him, and I get it. He's an older shortstop. Um, and then I would even throw Miguel Rojas potentially a little bit ahead of Paul DeYoung. Like Paul DeYoung, I mean, let's not forget, Paul DeYoung did not hit 200 last year. I mean, yep. it was... He lost his job to Edmundo Sosa last it, year, and he was wasn't a, hurt. It was a bad season. Now, granted, it could have been uh, the broken rib ended up being a factor into his struggles last season. I know that's what the Cardinals front office has been saying. You know, he's dealt with COVID. He had the broken rib. But he was bad before that, too. So I, I can't really buy into that. Look, I've been on this. Tra- I've been drinking the Kool-Aid. I do think he has looked impressive in spring training, and I am starting to buy a little bit back into the um, this bounce back season for Paul DeYoung, which is probably 230 with 30 home run potential. But I got to see it in the regular season. And, and with that in mind. I can't put the Cardinals as a top five shortstop in the National League. I got to see it before I believe it because I'm looking at last year's numbers and I go, he's like ninth in the NL. Now, I will say, though, that if that is true, where he's the fifth best shortstop in the National League at the end of this season, that changes my opinion on this team wholeheartedly. I mean, if he is, can we go through this for a second? Because I think you could make an argument that at that point, the Cardinals would be top five at basically every position in the National League. 100%. And that's kind of crazy, right? When you think about it, and we've had all of our questions about this lineup, and all offseason we were talking about the offense, the offense, the offense. you got to get more bats. You go around, like, Paul Goldschmidt, top five National League first baseman. Tommy Edmond. Greg Amzinger, and he's in, like, 13 or something. Tommy Edmond. like, top 11 list. (laughs) I think you can make an argument top five second baseman in the National League. He just but won a gold glove in what his second full season as an everyday MLB player. At even if base. you're lower than that, he's top half of the league I'd at put second him in top base. Five. Shortstop, we just went through the DeYoung conversation. Arenado certainly top five. Everybody in your outfield, I think, would be a top five National League outfielder at their respective positions. Maybe you could argue Carlson because right field is so incredibly loaded right now in baseball. Honestly, I think. Cardinals fans, I love him, but I think the one big question would be, where do you put Yadier Molina at this point of his respective career? But if DeYoung is as good as these projections suggest, and this is what we talked about a little bit yesterday, totally changes the way you look at the outlook of this team. And I think the biggest takeaway that I have from this, even if we disagree with the projection, this is why the Cardinals stuck with Paul DeYoung. Because they view it probably in a similar ilk to what Fangraphs is saying right now with these projections. And they say, hey, 
I understand Paul DeYoung might not be great, but he's pretty good. He's reasonably cheap. And we think if he bounces back, he can be a top five player at his position this year in the National League. And that's enough for us. We would rather have that than go out there and pay $25 million hoping for another bounce back season from a guy like Trevor Story or $35 million for a guy that's going to be excellent. Don't get me wrong, but $35 million is a lot of money for Carlos Correa. And that's the way they viewed it. I disagree. I would have gone out and gotten that other guy, but I do understand where they're coming from at least. And that's what I was going to ask. Where do they have Boston on this list? Because they, well, I guess he's going to play second base, so it's a little bit tougher. But yeah. that that's where I was going to say is what do the projections show for Trevor Story? Because that's what the Cardinals basically sold you on in the offseason was we think Paul DeYoung's bounce back season is better than what we're going to get out of Trevor Story, and especially in terms of that contract value. And that's what the Cardinals sold you on was, look, the bounce back may not be what fans want. Where It's what we're talking about, a 230 hitter that has 30 home run potential. But we think that, with his contract, is better than what, what Trevor Story got on the open market and what he's going to provide to this team offensively. Yeah, I can look up where he's at. They do not have him projected as a shortstop. They have him projected at second base, so... I'll have to go back through and look at those rankings. I got it here right now. He's right up at or near the top of this list. They've got him projected. I know wins above replacement can go over people's head, but they they've got him as a very good second baseman, third best in the in the uh, in baseball this upcoming year with four point two wins above replacement this year. They've got Paul DeYoung right around three. So they think Trevor Story is going to be an objectively better player this year than Paul DeYoung, but. Is he so much better that it's worth paying an extra $15 million this year for Trevor Story or $18 million this year for Trevor Story as opposed to going with Paul DeYoung, both of whom had very similar seasons last year. Let's be honest. Uh, Story was not very good last year for the Rockies. Obviously, the Cardinals answer is no. Even if we disagree with it, the Cardinals' answer to that question was no. So I found this to be interesting. And that's what I was going to say, too. You look at uh, the Zips projections are projecting the bounce back for Trevor Story. So if you're projecting two bounce backs, who would you rather have? Paul DeYoung on, what's he making, $4 million? Or Trevor Story, who's making around $20 million? 25, yeah. That's where it gets a little tough, is you've got to go with the value as opposed to just the overall numbers. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Robert Thomas. Playing like a number one center, whether we believe he is the actual number one center for the Blues or not, honestly, doesn't much matter. He's playing like one right now. How does that affect the Blues as you get into the Stanley Cup playoffs? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. Can I start out by asking you guys what your thoughts were on this piece from Bob Nightingale over on USA Today? No. Okay. I'm going to do so anyways. <laughs> Just didn't know what your response would be, so. Okay. So Mike Schiltz talked with Bob Nightingale apparently the last couple of days about what the experience was like getting fired from the Cardinals. Here's kind of the open in this story. Quote, I have a broken heart. It still hurts. It hurts really bad. When it first happened, I broke down. I was inconsolable. I got better as time went on. Then I got down here, put a Padres uniform on, and it hit me. And now it just hit me again. So that's kind of the the theme of the entire story. And one thing that stood out to me, I'll, I'll read a couple of quotes, and I want to get your guys' thoughts about this. This is another quote from Mike Schilt. I was getting on the phone uh, with the thought, talking to John Mosaloc, that it was going to be about a contract extension. I had one more year on my deal, so when I was looking at the numbers over the last few years, I was feeling pretty good about them. And then Mo started talking. 
He opened up by saying, Mike, this conversation isn't going to go the way that you think it's going to go. I love the way that Mo starts this conversation. The ultimate boss move, not even a hello. So that's interesting. And then I thought the most interesting quote from the entire thing was actually Tony LaRussa, who was asked about how he feels on this subject. He said, and I quote, that one really frosted my ass. Nice. My comment was that if it was a toxic environment, it must be coming from the front office. He continues. I'm for the Cardinals. Everybody makes their own decision. But when you start talking about that, him creating a toxic environment, it could damage his chance to manage again for those that don't know any any better. He did a hell of a job. Philosophical differences. You want to say that? All right. But But toxic? He's a special guy. That's why it's so important for his reputation to be intact and for it to not be smeared. End quote. Again, that came from Tony La Russa. What'd you guys make of these comments from TLR, from Mike Schilt, the way this the whole thing went down? Any new takeaways? I mean, it doesn't make it look, it doesn't make the front office look very good for the Cardinals from the way that these comments are coming out about it. I, I mean, it's, it's very interesting, Tony's comments of talking about the toxic relationship and how they labeled it. And then Tony saying if there was toxicity, it's coming from the front office, not from the manager. For what it's worth, I think both are at fault. I do not agree with his assessment, though, that it is exclusively on the front office. I do not believe that to be true. I do believe that Mike Schiltz could have done a better job here in St. Louis in Mike Schultz just doesn't scream. maintaining some relationships. I understand that, but he also doesn't scream the type of guy who's going to cause an uproar when it comes to this Cardinals. BK I, just doesn't like because he went Brandon. Was, that's what I was kind of <laughs> thinking is that because he didn't like your question after one post game show. I think Mike Schultz is very good at having a public persona that we see. And we see the all shuck side of him. And you, I, well, you didn't, <laughs> I got the full wrap. I, I got to see, you saw the toxicity. Everybody wanted to see the, the red ass that Mike Schiltz had. And Hey, we saw it. Um, I, BK, the official scratching post for St. Louis, but <laughs> it's balling hockey fans. I'm here for all of you. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we don't get to see what people are like behind the scenes. And that's the case for everything in any walk of life. Right. I, I never pretend to think I know more about what goes on in somebody's personal life. Alex, I have no idea what happens when you go home. Yeah, I don't you know. Do. I tell you all the time. <laughs> I feel like I've got a pretty you guys good idea. Yesterday when I went home, I fell down the stairs because I missed a step. <laughs> tell you guys everything. That was here, right? Yeah, that was here. You know that you know that saying of like, don't text and walk? Found that out the hard way. Those stairs. I missed that first step, man. And then like, those are concrete stairs, man. I, I know. I know you guys haven't watched all of the, the Office, but our listeners will respect this because they, you know, know good television and not Ratatouille. But you know, in the Office, when Michael Scott's trying to run outside of the parking lot to see Jenna Fisher's character before she leaves, he's running, and you don't see it, but all you hear is him just fall down the <laughs> stairs, and you see him laying in the corner of the staircase because he fell. That was me yesterday because I missed the first step. Back to yeah. What were we Mike talking Schilt. about again? I think sometimes we feel like we know people more than we actually do, and so on the outside looking in, we hear from Mike Schilt during the season, heard from Mike Schilt during the season every day. So we just assumed we had a pretty good handle on who he was as a manager, what he was like inside that clubhouse. The reality is, we really didn't. 
And so when when you see something like this that happens, it makes all of us, at least in my opinion, take a step back and reevaluate the situation. I think it's pretty clear at this point they disagreed with the public persona that Mike Schultz was putting on. They didn't think that's the way that he was handling things internally. Now, they may be wrong, but it sure seems to me like the clubhouse has some pretty good vibes going on right now. I don't know about you. They feel pretty loose to me. I don't know that that was always the case under previous management. Now, they were successful. They won. And I do not think Mike Schultz a bad manager. I think he's going to go on to be successful somewhere else. I really do. I think he's a good manager. But they clearly believed that they, they needed to go on a different direction. And I don't necessarily think they were wrong. I, I mean, it was just and, shocking. And, and I don't know, you know, none of us know what goes on behind closed doors. We just know what we see on this side of the business. But I mean, I've worked close to Mo when I did pre and post games for the Cardinals. And I mean, the guy, at least from my personal opinion, has no toxic bone in his body, but that's on this side of it compared to that side of it. Big picture though. It doesn't look great for the front office because Mike Schilt had a successful record and then he was fired before philosophical differences. Like, I don't know if the perception changes until the philosophical differences are broken down. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't think it will. Yeah, And and I agree with Alex. It does look bad for the front office. And I get what you're saying, BK. But I remember seeing, uh, I think it was from Katie Wu, tweeted out when the Schilt news was announced that, some players were caught off guard by it and were shocked by the news. I, I don't think I get the players seem loose under Marmol. I think it was the same under I don't think it was Mike just the players Schell. for what it's worth. I think it was staff. I think it was stuff going on behind the scenes that weren't necessary. I'm not saying he his players hated him. I don't believe that to be true. I, I don't I, I don't know that. Say, say what Remember you want. I think there was a push on Je- with Jeff Al. I, mean, there, I think we, that was one of the hot, part of it, hot sure. discussions between the front office and Mike Remember Schell. when we interviewed, it was either Carson Kelly or John Nagowski, whomever it was, it was, when we asked him his thoughts on Mike Schultz as a manager, and he hesitated for a good five seconds before he answered it. Six awkward five, pause. Six Very five, seven, awkward pause. Zero comfort service exon from the six one eight. BK, you weren't a player, so you don't know how the clubhouse feels. It's I know what true, a workplace Brandon. culture should feel like. It's I, not your job. Thank you very fair. much, Mike. Um, it's not his job. I don't think you need to be a former player. To, I, I think that former players have great perspective that can tell you more than what I can in certain instances. I don't think you have to be a former player to be able to understand that. If the front office viewed it as being a culture that wasn't good, like there's probably a reason for that. They might be wrong, but I think there's a reason for it. Uh, somebody else said, BK, I don't need to know what goes on in your personal life to know that I think you're probably an idiot off the air as well as you are on it. That is fair, sir. <laughs> that is totally fair. All right. Coming up fifth. in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get some NFL quick hitters. Big news yesterday in the league as did Brady get Bruce Arians fired? I think that might have been what happened, but they're putting it off as if it was something else. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Robert Thomas is playing like a legitimate number one center right now. We'll talk about it coming up here on 101 ESPN. Now you tell me, who would you go to? We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Robert Thomas is playing some of the best hockey of his NHL career right now. Alex, he has seven goals in his last 16 games. Is that good? He's up to 13 on the season now. This was the big question that we all had about Robert Thomas. Is he ever really going to be a legitimate goal scoring threat? Well, he's now on pace to score 19 goals over an 82 game season. That is perfectly fine. If you can get to that 
15 to 20 goal threshold as a, a centerman who's really known for his passing and playmaking skills, that is more than enough for this team, for any team, really. The question, though, that I have been asking you and that we've been getting I've been getting a lot of pushback on, but I'm going to die on this hill. Yes, you are. Is Robert Thomas becoming a legitimate number one centerman? Now, if you want to claim that he's a 1A versus 1B or 1B to the 1A of Ryan O'Reilly, that's a totally fair argument, man. And I know that's really what you've been saying, and you're right on it. They have two number one centermen right now. But I think the way that Robert Thomas is playing right now, and last night was a perfect example with the two late face-off victories where they were in their own zone, and typically that's a Ryan O'Reilly spot. They went to Robert Thomas on both of those big face-offs. That is a huge moment for Thomas. He's playing on the penalty kill. He's getting power play minutes. He's in every situation type of a player right now. That's what a number one centerman looks like. He's playing close to 20 minutes per game. Again, it's the time on ice that you would expect out of a number one centerman. And John Kelly was on with the morning show earlier today. Here's what he had to say about Robert Thomas's recent play and what's impressed him so much. You know, in really one year, he has gone from the third line center to center 1A or 1B. That, that's how good he's been this year. And, he, you know, he's still dealt with some injuries and illness and things like that. So, you know, I know O'Reilly is still the leader of this team and, and the top center, and Shen is a great player. But um, Robert, you know, last night, a key example, late in the game, he takes two key faceoffs and win them both cleanly. And, you know, the Blues survive and win the game. So uh, his game has really rounded into form where you can depend on him in all situations Alex, would you make of those comments? <laughs> By the way, Robert doesn't flow off the tongue like Brandon does. Robert? No. Brandon? There, there's nothing that quite flows off the tongue the way that Brandon does when, when Mike Schultz When the Padres said. come into town, man, we got to get him on and just have him say, oh. Brandon. <laughs> I don't know that he's going to accept our Sorry, go on with your request. question, Brandon. Uh, we were not accepted into his uh, his media press conference. Not, the, not his circle of trust. No, we were not. Um, Robert Thomas, what have you made from his recent performance? Look, I think what you said is correct. I mean, you are seeing the growth of a number one centerman. I mean, guys, he's 22 years old. Like, I think a lot of people forget how young Robert Thomas is. He's already got a Stanley Cup under his belt, and in a matter of three seasons, he's becoming a number one center. I don't think he's there yet. I think he is the 1B to Ryan O'Reilly's 1A because last night, Robert Thomas was very impactful. Shorthanded goal, couple of big faceoff wins, but you also had a couple of big faceoff wins by Ryan O'Reilly late in that third period uh, in their own zone just as much as Robert Thomas does. I think this is the luxury that Craig Berube has, and frankly, this is how you win a Stanley Cup. You got to have multiple guys you can trust. Um, the Blues. I don't know what they are today, but going into last night's game, they were sitting at 49.7% in terms of face-off win percentage this season. And if they finish the season below 50%, it's the first time in 10 years that they would finish that low, which is really surprising. And Ryan O'Reilly was asked about it yesterday, and he said, I don't really know what's changed. He said, I haven't been the greatest at mine, although he was like 65% last yeah. night. But it's, it's face-offs can be a little fluky sometimes and too. face-offs are just as much about the, the the wingers as it is the centermen because the wingers have to know what the centerman's doing but you got to win those in your own zone late in a game when the goaltender's pulled and you're up by a goal you have to win those face-offs and continue to ice the puck and that's what robert thomas did craig Berube trusts him just as much as he trusts Braden shen and ryan o'reilly and right now that's why they had O'Reilly, Shen, and Thomas on the ice with that goaltender pulled last night because that's three guys that if somebody gets chased from the faceoff circle, you can throw the next one in there and he's going to win that faceoff. So this is not the kind of thing that I would typically say. You guys know I'm a numbers guy. I'm a nerd. I've got all of those different adjectives you ought to throw at me. I'm more than happy to take those arrows. 
Somebody on the text line said something that I find interesting from the 636. Guys, Robert Thomas is a winner. Just look at his career. I I actually think I agree with that assessment. Well, I mean, technically, he's been on a team that's been bounced from the playoffs in the first round in two of the last three seasons, right? Hashtag winner. What I mean by that is, I think, Ro- like that? <laughs> I think Robert, hashtag winning, I think is the way that it was supposed to go. It's not um, Charlie. She your hashtag, I'll do mine. <laughs> Robert Thomas makes winning plays. And I think that's what I what I really enjoy about watching him play is like it's not just sizzle and flash. And sometimes when you watch him, you're like kind of taken aback by the sizzle and the flash that exists within but his I game. Like the sizzle. Absolutely. I'm here for it. Trust me. Does. But the thing that is so special about Robert Thomas as a player is he has all of that, but also he's winning faceoffs in his own zone. He's on the penalty kill. He's one of your best players right now on the power play. He's a guy that plays that full 200-foot game that they trust on the ice in the biggest of moments, and this is in a Craig Berube system. So you're getting that high-level flash and flare and, oh, my God, look at that pass. He just went through his legs and then passed it down into the crease. Like All of these things you're getting from Robert Thomas, but also – He's making those winning plays for you. And I think that's what makes him such a special player. Alex, I asked you this before the show, and I, I'm still trying to find the best way to frame this. But for years, much like the Blues looking for a number one goalie that could carry them through the playoffs, they were looking for that number one center. And they had guys that, because they were on this team, somebody has to be the number one center, right? Kind of like the Cardinals, somebody had to hit cleanup for them, even though they weren't that guy that was going to be batting cleanup that was going to bring danger to the lineup, right? Like Paul DeYoung was technically a cleanup hitter. Steven Biscotti got his opportunities there. I don't think anybody's saying on a good team, that's a legitimate cleanup hitter. You look back, and Paul Stastny was a really good player for this Blues team. I'm not trying to put him down in any way, shape, or form. But on a Stanley Cup contender, I'm not sure that's the guy that you want as your number one center, right? Uh, Same thing in some ways for David Backus. Really good player. Excellent player. I'm not sure that on a Stanley Cup contender, a legitimate number one center. Now, Ryan O'Reilly was, and they finally found that guy, and then look what happened. Over the last maybe 20 years, Alex, like right now, you could still say Ryan O'Reilly is the Blues' number one center right now, and I'm not really going to push back. I think that's a totally fair argument to be made. I think for most of those teams, though, this version of Robert Thomas, if you just put him on those other Blues teams, I think he would have been on most of their teams, the number one center for like the last 15 years or so. And that's quite a statement to be made about the kid that's 22 years old right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I even I I told you that, uh, you know, it's it sucks because it's situational because under Ken Hitchcock, David Backus would be a number one center, even with this Robert Thomas, because he liked size. But if you put Robert Thomas on any of those teams, he's your number one center. I, I mean, I love Paul Stastny, but Robert Thomas has just got a different playmaking ability than Paul Stastny did for the Blues. I, I told you, I think you got to go all the way back to Doug Waite. I think that was the last time that the Blues truly had a number one centerman, and it's no coincidence that, I mean, this is the first time the Blues have had a centerman, I believe, with 40-plus assists since Doug Waite. So that kind of tells you... I think it's under the age of 23, under, right? Yeah, that might be correct with that one. But, I mean, they've always been searching for that number one center, and Robert Thomas is that number one center. And I love the question you asked me, because you, you said in the office, you know, do teams that win the Stanley Cup have two number, number one centers. centers? 
And I went back and looked at this. I mean, Tampa Bay Lightning the last couple of years. You have Steven Stamkos and Braden Point. Those are two number one centers. The Pittsburgh Penguins. You got Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby. The Washington Capitals. Evgeny Kuznetsov, Lars Eller, and then Nicholas Backstrom. The Blackhawks when they had Jonathan Taves and they had Brad Richards. The Kings when they had um, Ajay Kopitar and Jeff Carter. I mean, you can even talk about the Detroit Red Wings when they used to win it. And it was Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg. You've got to have multiple players that you can trust in big situations. You cannot win a Stanley cup. If you have one guy that you trust in any situation, and then you have other players that just match certain spots on the ice, you can win with those guys, but you have to have a group of players that you can trust in any moment. And for the blues, Robert Thomas is now that guy within the next couple of years. By the time Ryan O'Reilly is a free agent, I would imagine the Blues are going to look at it and say, we have our number one center of the future in Robert Thomas. We have the guy that's ready to take that over. Now, maybe Ryan O'Reilly is re-signed because they look at it and say, we want to keep this guy around. He's a great leader. He's impactful for this team. Maybe he still is the captain. But Robert Thomas being 22 years old, that's the number one center of the future. And honestly, those guys are very hard to find when you're drafting in the position that the Blues are drafting in. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at about 15 minutes, we're going to catch up with former Cardinals infielder Aaron Miles. Want to get his thoughts on Albert Pools, his former teammate, World Series champions together. What he thinks of Albert coming back to St. Louis. We'll do that with Aaron Miles coming up at 1230. But coming up next, Tom Brady. Did he want Bruce Arians out, or is this just something that Bruce Arians decided he needed to do right now? It's late March, and the coach decided to walk away. That's strange. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Last night, that took a lot of people by surprise, including myself, frankly, is that Bruce Arians is stepping down as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Now the question becomes, why do you do it? Way to go, Tom. He says it's because he wanted to have a line of succession in place, and he believes Todd Bowles is ready for this job. And he wants Todd Bowles to have a good team that he takes over. Bowling with Bowles. So it builds a little equity, right? In a lot of ways, this is admirable. I respect it, what he's doing here. You buying it, though? No, absolutely I'm not buying it. Tom Brady retired, and Bruce Arians said, yeah, we're not trading him. Tom Brady comes out of retirement, and Bruce Arians retires? Hmm, I don't even need to do a tinfoil open for that one. That's just a theory. No, it's not even a theory. That's a hypothesis. Yeah, I'm not buying it. I didn't do well in science class. I'm not buying that either. It's such weird timing. Like, I, I would totally understand if he did this, and he's like, I want Todd Bowles to have... Everything laid out for him, and I'm going to write off. You do that at the end of the year. You don't do that. Made that comment last season. Like, oh, we're going to start moving towards Todd Bowles taking over. You don't do that when it's the end of March and the off season's basically complete already. Like, it's such weird timing. Yeah, there's something there with Tom Brady. I don't know what it is, but and I find it very fascinating that Tom Brady has not spoken yet. He did put out a statement yesterday. Oh, he did? Yeah, he yeah. put out okay. a statement. So Tom Brady's team put out a statement yesterday. Full class. Like, put it on the gram. Yeah, it was exactly what you would expect Tom Brady it? to say. I don't think so. You should TikTok it. You should follow us on TikTok, yeah, by the way. On 101 ESPN, right? I don't really know how any of this works, but is it at 101 ESPN? Is that cool? I'm not, so, a, I'm not a talker. We're about to be, buddy. Oh, oh yeah? We're going to have to figure this thing out as we go here. 
Tom Brady clearly, it's not health, by the way. We're getting a ton of text saying it was health reasons. Bruce Arians said it had nothing to do with his health. Absolutely. And he has every reason to say that it had to do with health if that was the case. Correct. There's every incentive to say, hey, you know, I got to step aside. I've dealt with this stuff in the past. It is something that has come up again. And yeah. I want to make sure that I am in a good place mentally and physically. And right now, I don't think I can give my team 100%. Like, that's all you got to say if you're Bruce Arians. And everybody would understand that. He didn't say that. In fact, he said the opposite. He said, I'm, I've never been in a better place health-wise. I just want to make sure that my guy gets an opportunity. Now, you might believe that, and maybe there is a little something to it. I don't buy it, man. I think this is Tom Brady saying, I didn't want to play for Bruce Arians again. I think last year, Tom Brady looked at the team, and he didn't think that they were quite in the same mindset that they were the year prior. I think he felt like everybody was happy to get that first title. And I think part of that was Bruce Arians. You take on the mentality of your coach. And Bruce Arians has a little bit more laissez-faire approach as a coach. So I think that's what led to this. All right, let's continue here as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Guys, there are some really good teams that you look around the NFL that got rid of quality wide receivers that need to draft one this year. Kansas City Chiefs. Green Bay Packers. If you were one of the receivers in this year's draft, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, whoever your favorite guy is in this year's draft, where would you want to go? Where would be the team that you're secretly wait? Oh, you're, you're getting ready for draft day and you're like, man, I want to land on that team because of the situation that currently exists there. Well, me personally, I want to go where a quarterback's going to throw me the ball and make me look good. So I got two destinations. It's KC and Green Bay. And I would choose KC because I think Mahomes is, I don't think he played as well as Rodgers last year. I think he's probably a little bit better. And let's just be honest, it's it's cold in KC, but it's not as cold as it is in Green Bay. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, I want a guy who's going to make me look good. And I mean, either or is going to be a great choice. But if I got a choice, I'm going to go to the spot where the reigning MVP, the reigning two-time MVP or back-to-back MVP and the team that just lost their number one wide receiver and their number two wide receiver. That'd be the first spot that I'd be calling to see if they're interested. I think those are clearly the top two spots. What would you guys have at number three? Because I've got one candidate that I'll throw out there that I think is an interesting place for a wide receiver in this year's draft. I want to hear if you guys have a different one. I think Dallas is a really interesting spot. Amari <sighs> Cooper was just let go. Yeah, They've but, got a ton of targets now. But didn't they let Amari Cooper go because they had too many targets? I think they let Amari Cooper go because they didn't want to pay him $20 million this year. He's not very good. He's solid. Well, Minnesota guy's back. Somebody said he needs to go to Minnesota for Kirk Cousins. I mean, they already have two stud receivers. <laughs> They've got Jefferson and Adam Thielen, so they're, they're fine. Wait, I thought Thielen yeah, was gone. I thought gone. Thielen was gone. No. Uh, didn't he, didn't he request a trade or something? Uh, I, I think he might have even extended. Uh, well, maybe I traded him in Madden. <laughs> Dallas oh, no, is my a, worlds are crossing. <laughs> Dallas is a spot that I would really like to see a wide receiver land. And if I'm one of those guys, that, that's yeah. a place that I would be very interested in going to. Because you guys are right. You, The number one thing you want is to land with a really good high-level quarterback that can get you the ball. Dallas is good. Uh, I, it, it sucks so much that the Giants have Daniel Jones as the quarterback because if I'm a wide receiver, I'd want to go where Brian Dable is for yep. how good that offense is. Like I'm, I'm looking for a head coach that has a offensively inclined mindset. It just sucks that that's the quarterback. Yeah, the other one I was thinking of too, 
and he wouldn't be the number one, but it would be Tennessee. He'd be the number two there. I mean, All they right, let go really of who Julio, they, Julio. Julio. Yeah, and they got A.J. Brown still. So you'd be immediately the number two guy. And you're in a winning culture there with Ryan Tannehill. I think Tennessee would be my number one destination outside of KC and Green Bay. If you're one of these receivers, you're hoping you don't go top 10, right? Because oh, li- listen to these teams oh, that are yeah. picking in the top 10 this year. Oh. Jacksonville, Ooh. Detroit, Ooh. Houston, Ooh. the Jets and Giants, both of whom have two top 10 picks. <laughs> Carolina, who currently their Doesn't number have one quarterback, quarterback is Sam Tarnold. <laughs> Atlanta, who right now would be starting, I think, Marcus Mariota. Yeah, and, they're, and, and then Seattle, where they've already got two legitimate number Drew one Locke. wide receivers. Throwing that. Me. Eleven is Washington. Twelve is the first place that I would be willing to go, and that's Minnesota. And they don't have I a whole lot of targets that. to go around. Yeah. And then you've got to go all the way down to Baltimore at fourteen. Who's thirteen? Houston. Houston. I'm not going to Houston. Yeah, we ain't going to Houston. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Philly, they've got three of the yeah, next five they, picks. The Chargers don't have any targets available. Saints have nobody to throw to you, nor I, does Pittsburgh. I mean, it is. New England? Maybe you're hoping New England takes you. I think you. you're hoping for somebody to trade up or to fall yeah. into the 20s if you're one of these wide receivers. That phone rings and it's top 10. <laughs> Hang it up. I'm not answering. I would tell my agent. I would pull the Kobe. I'm not playing for you if you draft me. Guys, oh, wow, wow. Don't be dopey now. Guys, can I wow. insert one into our quick hitters real quick before we get to Aaron Miles, please? Because I got a Jordan Davis update, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. We're having a daily Jordan Davis update here on BK and Ferrario. The most recent mock draft on CBS has him going 14th overall, and I would dedicate my team and fandom to the Baltimore Ravens. Have, that you, is such a perfect fit. Man, I would love that. The, they lose Calais Campbell in retirement, and you get Jordan Davis, the next Calais Campbell. Oh. The two spots that make the most sense just aesthetically for me don't say kansas city no the chargers and the ravens those are the two spots that make the most sense in my mind for a guy like personally i hope he goes to the chargers because i look good in light blue do you really Mm -hmm. you also look good in backwards caps man oh we're gonna let anybody tell you otherwise discuss that later alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley coming up in 15 minutes we'll get into the junk drawer we will discuss the backward hat situation but next aaron miles former cardinals infielder gonna join the show want to catch up with him about what his thoughts were when he saw his buddy his former teammate albert pujols coming back to st louis aaron miles next on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For the first time since 1982, St. Louis has a World Series winner. That's what it sounded like in 2006 as the St. Louis Cardinals won the World Series and a member of that team, Aaron Miles, joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Aaron, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, you guys. I appreciate this. Uh, uh, obviously, Albert coming to the to the team, that's a big, big story, and Glad you guys thought of me to talk about it a little bit. Absolutely. We're thrilled to catch up with you, man. What, I mean, let's start there. What was your reaction when you saw Albert coming back to St. Louis? Well, I, you know, I, I saw the text from you guys and then I knew that they had been talking about it for a little bit. You think of Yachty and, and Wayno and the fans, um, you know, and to, to, to me, to be honest with you, I know, hey, you know, who knows how much magic's left in him, but the St. Louis fans are going to bring every single bit that he has left out of him. 
and it's gonna it's gonna help the 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 end of his career, his last year, and and for Yachty and Wayno to if if in fact it is all three of their last years, uh, for the I mean they, you know, it's hard to name three other players that were more integral, you know, in this last, uh, you know, I mean, for well the ten years that Albert's been in in, in Anaheim, but uh, before that. Those guys were, you know, as big a three as any, and obviously Albert and and Yachty uh, being the two biggest players on those teams. Aaron, um, your Aaron, your last year was 2011 in the majors, and of course that was the year that the Cardinals won the World Series, and Albert uh, left as a free agent and went to the Angels. After that season, did you think that Albert would ever come back to St. Louis? Uh, yes, because I think I'm a little bit of a romantic as well. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, uh, you know, I see why why he why he left and and why the Cardinals didn't bring him back um, then. You know, I mean, not everything lasts forever, but I could always see him coming back because he he is a Cardinal uh, to the core. Um, it's the place where you know he became Albert Pujols, and and he helped. I mean, he helped that team become what it was, uh, and so. You know, I always thought that there would be him coming back because this guy cares more about, you know, performing on the field and cares about the people that he's touched in his life. I mean, you know, that's one good thing. Albert, you know, has used his platform to do things that he's loved in his life and 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 touch people uh, in a way that only he can with that with that platform that he's created. And St. Louis has helped him create. And I think it's just fitting that he comes back. And I'm glad that, you know, hey, if, if, they, don't, if they don't go through the, uh, the labor talks and they don't have the, uh, the change in the rule, maybe it doesn't happen. But uh, the DH everywhere, it's a perfect fit. Aaron Miles is our guest, former Cardinals infielder, World Series champion, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Aaron, I did want to ask you about your lasting memory of Albert Pujols while he was here in St. Louis. Is there, whether it be an at-bat, a moment in the dugout, something that happened behind the scenes that maybe we weren't even uh, able to see on uh, in the public light? What is your lasting memory of your time that you spent with Albert Pujols here in St. Louis? Well, how was there? Man, for his uh, prime years, or well, I wasn't there for all the prime years, but uh, one of his prime years. I mean, I remember him hitting three homers in a game uh, once or twice, uh, basically putting us on his shoulders. Uh, and then when you know when he wasn't healthy, we weren't the same team. It just when you're missing the best player in baseball, which he was for you know a legitimate amount of time. I mean, what do you have? Two or three MVP, two MVPs. And probably uh, a runner-up four or five other times. I mean, if there wasn't Barry Bonds in that same league, this guy's probably got six MVPs. Um, and so there's him doing that. One thing that sticks out to me, and this is not to, to say that, uh, you know, uh, this guy knows who he is. He knows the what the fans want from him. I remember the World Series baseballs when we were all supposed to sign him, right? And this is this is not a. You, some people could take it as a, a knock. This is not a knock on him at all. His so attention to detail, where we've got these. You know, I think it's a hundred baseballs we have to sign, right? And so you know, Albert knows we're all going to sign him. I mean, 
if you're the fan, you better make sure Albert's got a good, his signature looks great, right? <laughs> and I, I know if you know, you know anything about those signed baseballs, it gets crowded pretty freaking quick. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so I, I get there, you know, and I'm like, hey, I'm not touching that thing. And for a while, I know my status on the team. I'll fit in where I fit in. You know what I mean? <laughs> we get there, and Albert got there. I swear to God, he must have got to the park two hours earlier. He signed him very first, and his name was big on it. And it was probably bigger than everybody else's, which it should be. I mean, get him and Tony, you know what I mean? And so I, I looked at it and I was like, God, the guy took up the whole space. You know what I mean? But, you know, and then I got back and sit back and reflect on it. And I said, you know, he got up early because he knew that the balls are going to be there that day. He got, he gets to the park early every day. He's the hardest worker. He got there early. He signed them just like everybody that is going to get that ball wants to see Albert's name. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's, it's nothing, you know, wasn't it was the attention to detail which he has, which he does uh, from time and time again. He wanted that ball to have his name on it, which is every fan that ever is going to get it is going to want his name. Beautiful, right there. And uh, you know, I looked at it. And I said, God, man, that's a professional. I mean, stepping up and doing it beyond of what he does. Says, yeah, I know what I want on that ball, and that, that that's just a part of him uh, knowing what the fans and what everybody and what's expected of him. Man, the only thing I'm thinking of right now, Aaron, is what you should have done was just taken that baseball and treated it like Scrabble and had Aaron Miles come off of the A off of Albert Pools. <laughs> go down, just go down with it and have other players just make a Scrabble board on the baseball with it. Hey, hey you know, I'm, I'm not too big in stature. My, I had to, you know, when, when it gets down to the nitty gritty at the end of the thing, everybody's trying to fit their name in, you know, <laughs> and there's Albert like, boom. And I was like, well, <laughs> Hey, Hey, I, I took, well, I, I had a couple of those balls and I took them to a couple of auctions, you know, in my hometown. And I was like, it's got Albert's signature on it. That was the, that's the one thing that made it actually sell. You know what I mean? So, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so Aaron, he knew exactly what he was doing, and, and that's Albert. Attention to detail with everything. God, I love it. Aaron, one thing I am curious about, you mentioned you being there for the prime of Albert Pujols' career. What were those road trips like? I mean, like we've all seen the last dance documentary with Michael Jordan and that team, and like I can only imagine what it would be like to travel with Michael Jordan. Everyone always notices him. Was it that way with Albert Pujols? Well, Albert is, you know, first he's, uh, you know, faith in God is first for Albert. Okay. And then, and then it's personal performance and team performance, you know, and then it's, and then it's his charities and what he, what he can do with his platform. That's him in a nutshell, you know, those, that, that, that integrate. And, and, you know, if he takes care of himself, he takes care of the team. He's the best team player I've ever seen as far as a guy who has always has the winning frame of mind and knows the, the strategic way to go about the approach to game. Okay. That being said, the road trips, this on the plane is when Albert showed his most human side to me, because, you know, that's the only time actually us, I would say normal players actually got, <laughs> this is Albert. And, you know, he can't go nowhere else. We're trapped in the plane together. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? No, no other reporter is going to come to him and say, hey, I need your time or I need you to sign these. It's like, we got him right there. 
And sometimes he'd be doing his own thing, but there were times, man, where he would get in to the team card games. We used to have that game where I don't want to say the whole thing, but it was blank your neighbor. I don't know the card game. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You go around and uh, uh, we all throw the money in the pot. And then there's one winner at the end. Albert wouldn't play all the time, but he would play. And man, he was like a little kid, dude. He was laughing and screaming. And, um, and that was, man, that was a, Big thing. We used to play that game in every, I don't want to say everybody played, but man, we, we'd get some guys, sometimes 10 or 12 guys would be in that game, you know, and uh, that was when we all got to kind of hang out. I got to hang out with Albert, you know what I mean? I never really went to dinner with him or anything like that, but he showed his human side to me so much during that time and the little kid in him, you know what I mean? And um, he, he's, uh, he's a great individual. And, you know, you're like, you're right. He's a superstar, and a lot of his time is uh, is taken. Final question that I've got for Aaron Miles, former Cardinals infielder here on 101 ESPN. Aaron, the other day there was a story that came out. Uh, this was the day that uh, Albert arrived in Cardinals camp. And I guess some of the young guys were getting ready to leave. They, they took off all their baseball stuff. They got in their regular clothes, and they were getting ready to head out. And as they were leaving, they, they started walking by the batting cages, and they realized Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina were in the cages. So what do they do? They take off all their regular stuff, they get back in their baseball stuff, and they go over to the cages because they've got an opportunity to hit with Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina. You mentioned he's one of the hardest workers that you've ever been around. What was it like to see his work ethic? And in your mind, what can that do for young guys that see this guy's maybe the greatest baseball player in the last, what, 20 years? And he's in here getting this work in. What was that like for you? Uh, Well, first of all, it rubbed off on Yachty. And I'm not going to say that Yachty wouldn't have done it without him, but he learned from Albert. I obviously learned from his brothers as well, but Yachty be the first person there at six in the morning. Albert would hit constantly, all the time. Spring training, before, after. Uh, if this guy, which would not be a slump for many, if he felt he was going through a slump, this guy would take so many swings that it wasn't. It, it was a case where some of the coaches and everybody would be like, "He's doing too much." You know, he's doing too much. He's tiring himself out. And Albert's like, no, there's no, there's no such thing as too much. And so, you know, um, he is the hardest worker. And, and that's why, you know, look, man, they signed him. The Dodgers played him last year in crunch time. This guy still has a whole lot of play left in him. And when he runs, and I know he's only going to play against lefties for the most part, unless he gets super hot. But let this guy wrap his brain around only playing against lefties, which he had a little bit of chance to last year against the, with the Dodgers. But let him curtail his training program. Make everything toward just how he go- needs to be on this team. And I, I tell you what, he is going to – he's going to have a good year for a Hall of Fame player at the end of his career. And he's going to help everybody in that clubhouse. I tell you what, who's going to benefit the most is – the, the the clubhouse workers, man, those guys, <laughs> they 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 got Albert's uh, going away uh, tip uh, when he left, uh, you know, ten years ago. How about his uh, career ending tip? I bet you uh, Ernie and Walshie are gonna freaking love it, man. They're gonna love it. <laughs> 
He's Aaron yeah, Miles. That's, that's going to be a happy tip. Happy tip. I'll tell you that. He's that's a former awesome. Cardinals infielder, World Series champion. We always enjoy catching up with Aaron Miles here on 101 ESPN. Aaron, we wish you all the best, man. We'll talk with you again soon. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Aaron. That's Aaron Miles joining us here on 101 ESPN. Love that, man. Uh, that was a lot of fun to be able to catch up with him. He mentioned uh, earlier in that interview, Alex, he was like, uh, yeah, he won what? Two MVPs, three MVPs, got runner-up a few. Alex, in his first 11 years of his career, he had 10 top five finishes for the MVP. And he's right. Without Air, without Barry Bonds, Albert Pujols probably would have at least six MVPs in those first 11 years. There was one year of his career in the first 11 years that he was here in which he did not finish top five. He finished ninth. That was year. that the year he was injured too? Did that he play the full season? 2007 was when he finished ninth thought, in the well, MVP How many games voting. did he play? Because it was 158. The, oh, okay. I think so he wasn't 06 injured. was when he was hurt more, right? Wasn't that the season where they had the whole lineup that was going I up have, and in and yeah, out? Yeah, 06. I have his numbers because I was looking to see. He played in 143 games, so he played in quite a Damn, bit still. He was hurt and he still he, played in nearly all he, of the games. He only hit 331, <laughs> had a 671 slug, an OPS Lord. of 1.102. Sounds like me in the softball home run derby. 49 homers, 137 RBIs. I mean, it was an okay year. I mean, Sounds like me at the softball home run derby. I'm not breaking any news to anybody, but good Lord, man, the numbers that he put up here in St. Louis, just when you say them out loud, yeah. it's it's just it's comical. I mean, it's not even video game numbers. It's beyond that. 330 batting average, 421 uh, on-base percentage, a 617 slugging percentage. This is his entire tenure here in St. Louis. I'm not talking about one season. This is his entire time. An OPS plus of 170, My 70% God. above league average. He was more or less lapping the field. The average year for Albert Pujols while he was here in St. Louis was 40 doubles, 40 home runs, 120 RBI. And oh, by the way, let's go ahead and steal eight bags as well. And he averaged he stole eight bases on, on average per season. My yeah. God. He had a 16 stolen base season twice while he was here in St. Louis in 2005. And then again in 2009. God bless. He that. was the invisible man. Oh, well, he wasn't invisible. Everyone saw him. Except so, yeah. for when he was on the basis. Uh, for some reason, they forgot he was out there. <laughs> I'm looking at this 2016 because we were talking with Aaron Miles. Albert, if I'm looking at this correctly, was tied for second in steals on that team. Only one person was ahead was of him. It was so Taguchi. And two, that was in 2006? Yeah. Now look at Where 2005. 2005, that seven. year, he had 16. I think he led the Cardinals. What yeah. year is this? He led the Cardinals in stolen bases in 2005. Guys, he had 16. The next closest on the team was uh, Reggie Sanders with 14 stolen bases. Guys, is Albert Pujols fast? No, but he was an unbelievable base runner. It was kind of like, he's like Yachty. Yachty will steal like five, but and it's because he's able to figure. Okay, a pitcher's now looking at me, and he'll time it perfectly. Goldie has some of that takes too. Off. Where yeah. Go- oh, Goldie's yeah. better Big though for like the first to third type of thing. He's not as much of a base stealer at this point in his career, but it, it's similar in that respect. It's it's unbelievable, man. Some of the it, it it's. It's laughable. I, I can't believe sometimes looking back at some of these numbers. Best years of my life watching that man swing the he's, bat. He's a, uh, it turns out he was a very good baseball player. And the thing that I love, by the way, just to throw one more thing out here, um, like looking at 2008 through 2010, here are his walk numbers and his strikeout numbers. 2008, he walked 105 times. He had 55 strikeouts. How many of those walks were intentional? Uh, sure, a big he number finished that year intentional walks. I'll have to go over to that. He finished. In- I'll look in 06 just to give you a reference here. 
He walks 92 times, struck out 50. Of those 92 uh, walks, 28 of them were intentional. Damn. Yeah, it got even more significant. 2009, he was intentionally walked 44 times. I mean, 64 wow. of the times that you just mentioned, T-Bone, he was just walked because he's that damn good. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. And, and it's amazing. Still, There are individuals, and there will be somebody who doesn't vote for him to go into the Hall of Fame. Albert? Oh, yeah. I don't think so. I think he'll be unanimous. If Derek Jeter wasn't unanimous, Albert Pujols, somebody, you know somebody is going to be a jerk that says, well, he shouldn't be unanimous. There's no way, right? I oh. mean, Albert is the, like, the guy from there's this generation. Been, somehow there's only Derek been Jeter, one Derek Jeter, we all know. He's not, he's not actually as good as people. BK indicate. hates him. There's only been Ken one Griffey, unanimous right? player, and I think it was Ken Griffey. So yeah, I, Albert's I think, on that level. I'm I think telling Albert's you, man. on that level. He should be unanimous. If he should be. If someone, someone didn't vote will. for him, if someone didn't vote for him, it would not shock me. There will be the somebody the who says, knows. well, he doesn't deserve. They'll either use the argument about his age, or they'll use the argument about him leaving. Somebody will make an argument that That person Albert, should lose their Hall of Fame vote as a result. The same people that don't fill out Hall of Fame ballots should also lose their voting privileges. Hey man, I, I, I get it. I'm and just I, saying, someone's going to do it. Th- there is no argument against Albert. There's none. You can't. If you're the guy that doesn't vote for him to win, to make it into the Hall of Fame on how, the first ballot, like how do you sleep at night? Yeah, you, you can't. You can't vote the next year. I, I will go ahead and take your vote. That's great. I, you, you can no longer be a Hall of Fame Cue voter. up the mic, Shield. It's not your job audio. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2022 with a guy who might be another Hall of Famer. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 <laughs> ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Hall of Famer coming up here in about five minutes or so. But right oh now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Better be talking about Robert Thomas. So, Alex, last night, I was perusing through Twitter. Oh, you were perusing, eh? Yep. And uh, Randy Carriker's great follow on Twitter. came up on my timeline. Great follow. What's Randy tweeting about? And sports. he retweeted, quote tweeted to be specific. Your video from yesterday. Oh, those are phenomenal. First Community Credit Union game day previews with Mike Ryder as the photographer. And in the video, you add on, I believe it's the same hat that you're wearing right now. Yeah, my dad life hat that my wife gave me at the hospital when oh, we gave birth to our says? first daughter. Dad life. Nice. Can't see it because it's reversed on your head right now. It's true. Yeah, we can Randy, apparently apparently had an issue Randy tweeted out, I need a ruling. At what age... Should guys stop wearing their uh, their hat backwards? Randy is apparently very, very. Um, what is the aggressive in the way that he views this? I felt personally attacked last night. I want to give you an open forum to be able to respond to what I believe to be your character. It's true. Slander. And liable at the highest of levels. Because of the, the way I personally felt after that tweet was Randy was calling me too much of an ad- adult to wear a hat backwards. Well, that that's way. exactly what he said. That I should be a child with wearing my hat backwards. And you know what? That's how the, he feels, clearly. The, the responses were just un, unnecessary. Like, I don't really care what JB47 underscore the man has to say on Twitter about how you should only wear a backwards cap until you're 17 years old. Well, that's false. 
I have taste, gentlemen. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, now I feel personally <laughs> I attacked by you. Do I? I feel personally you, you, attacked by you. In all seriousness, though, had to respond of the three of us in this room, frankly, of all of us on this radio station, not named Michelle, who actually has real fashion, like, takes... Alex would probably be my number one pick. Oh, thanks, bud. You guys that actually that. know what they're doing when they're dressing themselves. Yeah, a lot of that credit is to my wife, who helps me with that. Because I certainly don't. Tanner, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> I mean... We all just kind of throw that, on what we've that, got available to us. That personally tickled I'm me. I'm pretty there, sure there's times where I walked in here and go, man, this doesn't match. What did I do this morning? Here's the thing. I there wear a hoodie and jeans 90% of the time. There are certain people that can pull off hats, and there are certain people who can't pull off hats. I am in the latter category. I, for one, have always been a guy, and I'm not trying to sound egotistical here. Hats just have always looked and felt good on me. Now, I will never wear a hat in a professional setting. Now, I know we are professionals and on the air, but this is a this is a loose environment. We're here to have fun. We're here to pr- provide entertainment for listeners. And this, I, I feel... I almost fell into a trap with a cardio cut that could have been snapped there. I feel, I feel, you feel sexy, huh? I, I was going to say I feel more loose with with my hat on backwards, but well, there you go. Anyway, here's the thing: in a professional setting, I would never wear my hat backwards. I would never wear it to a uh, business interview or anything like that. But there are certain hats that work for people. You can't wear a custom fitted cap backwards. Does that make sense? Sure. Like you know the the. The new era hats with the logos, you can't wear those backwards. Flat bill, new era. Yeah. yeah, because you look like Fred Durst. And no disrespect to Freddie D, but it looks a little... Looks ridiculous. Looks a little ridiculous. Sure. Looks very unprofessional. But with snapbacks, I think you could pull off snapbacks because it's a casual look here. I don't understand why Randy's got a problem with my look. So here's the way that I kind of deal I, with all of this stuff. I and this perso- is just in life, honestly. Felt personally attacked. Wear whatever the hell you want to wear. Like that's t- Tanner likes wearing cargo shorts. Yeah. If he enjoys Get cargo, over it. If he enjoys wearing cargo shorts, then damn it, wear cargo shorts. I like Screw wearing you, jeans Ferrario. that kind of squeeze my hips a little bit. They make me feel good. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, man. You're a little too tight. I, these ones are a little. You got I, the Robbie Ray pants on. Like smuggling over there. Feel like I need to get on the peloton a little more often lately. Um, I, I enjoy jeans that are a little tighter fit. Some guys like jeans that are a little looser. That's fine. I don't care what you want to wear. If you want to wear a backwards hat, a frontwards hat, a cap that doesn't make any sense and you're wearing it sideways that's fine and if whatever you want to do man whatever makes you happy and if you're asking when the age is to wear a hat backwards you're too old to wear the hat backwards so there you go or you probably just don't like wearing backwards hats Look, which is totally fine you shouldn't wear a backwards hat if you think it looks ridiculous everyone's idols wear hats backwards somebody says you can't wear jorts i disagree jorts are apparently coming back in now i don't personally wear jorts but if you want to wear jorts go for it, man maybe i'll go to jorts no, don't wear jorts. Don't wear jorts. Cargos are for middle schoolers, T-Bone. Sorry, buddy. But all, all of the all of the all of the icons have worn their hats backward. We all wore hats backward at one point because of Ken Griffey Jr. And I've heard I've heard that hockey guys wear their hats backwards. And we're gonna get more info on this from Joe Vitale at 130. Okay. Because look, Joey V knows fashion. He's he's a former hockey player. He's been around some of the greats, like Sidney Crosby. If, I'm gonna laugh if Joey says he doesn't wear oh, a no. hat backwards. Oh no, I know for a fact Joey endorses backwards caps. Somebody on the text line from the five seven three. So BK wears skinny jeans. I mean not 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 like skinny jeans, but yeah, does this surprise anybody in our listenership? Like th- that that's the least surprising thing in the world, I would imagine, for most people. That I do something that is yeah. for some people not considered to be quote 
quote-unquote manly. Yeah, see, see from the Go, three, goes in line with the rest of my from life. From the 314 asks is a great question. If, if, backward haps, if backward hats are a problem, what about people who wear jerseys? Or jerseys? You got a problem with, well, no, jerseys. <laughs> you got a problem with, with grown men wearing jerseys? Some people do. I don't care, man. I don't I just, care either. I can't Cats get, look good backwards, and sometimes I don't want to gel my hair every day. I, I can't believe we're not supporting the jersey or the cargo shorts. I'm, I'm fine with either. I, I, I genuinely am at the point in my life where I just can't bring myself to care what anybody else wears. I, I can't. It doesn't matter to me. Now, I think certain re- jerseys look ridiculous. And so if you're forcing people to wear those, like on a, on a sports team, I'm not talking about other uh, humans like, like on the, the outside. Like the blues, like red like ones. Uniforms. Yeah, ridiculous. Like, I, I can judge that stuff. But <laughs> if Alex wants to wear five to seven days a week, a zip up pullover, <laughs> that's fine. Seven. It's not a phase, mom. BK in references <laughs> to his skinny jeans. I'll leave this conversation at this. And I'll, uh, I'll leave you all with a great quote from one of the greatest, Will Smith who said, the only difference between you and me is, I make this look good. And as the kids would say, that quote slaps. It's Gucci. Somebody says, can you wear an NBA jersey if you are an older gentleman? Oh, man. I used to wear NBA jerseys with no shirts underneath in high school. I wish I could pull it off. I was a jerk. (laughs) If if I'm at a beach, maybe I can pull that off. 99% of the time otherwise, nope. Can't can't, do it. I I wish I could. Other guys can. I cannot get the image out of my head now. Ferrari wearing a basketball jersey to high school. Who are you wearing? Who are you wrapping? I know we're super long right here. This was my rap phase where I felt like I wore the custom fitted hats backwards. I felt like I was Slim Shady. My wife tells this story all of the time because I, I did plays and musicals in high school. That's where I met my wife because she was at Notre Dame, the all-girl high school. And she always reminds me that I showed up to one of our rehearsals in a LeBron James jersey, which BK is going to enjoy that one. I had a I white custom fitted flat build cap backwards and no shirt underneath. And I was a twig. And I was wearing an NBA jersey with no shirt Did underneath. It looked like a dress on you. That's how I picture it. Being I like mean, super it, it, came, long it too. came down past my hips. I'll say that. <laughs> so I learned my lesson and I don't do that anymore. I had three NBA jerseys growing up. This is not going to surprise you. One of them was LeBron James. Another one, strangely enough, was a Michael Jordan Wizards jersey. The 45? Oh. <laughs> no, a Wizards one. Didn't um, he wear? Oh, no, he wore 45 was the year that he came yeah. back with Chicago. And then uh, the last one that I had was Allen Iverson. Those were the three. Mine was, mine was LeBron James, Coach. Kobe Bryant and Amari Stoudemire. This may shock Amari. you from the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> I love it. This may Seven shock seconds you. Or less yeah. uh-huh. One of the I never had a jersey, but one of the jerseys I had was an Eckstein jersey. That, My dad would always say would I looked like him. Me. Oh, I don't know. That's the least surprising thing in the really? world is that you would be I, an Eckstein guy. I had guy. Albert. I had I think Roland. I, I think at one point I had Edmonds too, and then I had the just only a random surprise Eckstein. is that you didn't have a Skip Schumacher one <laughs> <laughs> or a Mark Grzelanek yeah. one. Guys, I want to thank you both because I feel much better now about my hat being worn backwards. Will you turn it around for me? No. Coming up in 15 minutes. We're playing a game of Believe It or Not, (laughs) 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. But coming up next, let's talk about a Hall of Fame center fielder here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now... The 20 most important Cardinals for the 2022 season on BK and Ferrario. Number eight, Harrison Bader. Bader hammers it. Out to left. Grand slam. Grand slam. Harrison Bader. They're pouring it on. 
Number eight on our countdown of the 20 most important players in 2022 is a guy that probably should have been in the top five. Let's be honest here. It is Harrison Bader at number eight. Alex, surprise, surprise, was at number 10. A little low on Harrison Bader going into the season. Tanner had him at number eight on our list of the 20 most important players. BK had him as number one. I had him at number seven on our countdown of the 20 most important players. He comes in at number eight overall. Guys, if you're looking at what he did last year, it was one hell of a season. Finished the year batting 267. He dropped his strikeout rate from a career average of right around 30%. He was at 21% last year in terms of his strikeout rate. If you're looking at his walk rate, right in line with where he's been for the vast majority of his career he has now been above in above average hitter in three of the last four seasons he was awful in 2019 finished that year batting 205 the other three years around it 107 ops plus 114 ops plus 110 ops plus last year it's been a pretty darn good player for the cardinals and oh by the way a gold glove defender arguably the best defender in all of baseball uh last year as well if he is healthy all year this year alex i think you are going to leave the season and a lot of people will consider Harrison Bader to be a top seven-ish center fielder in the game right now. I would agree with that statement. And I think the defense is the reason why. I think the defense has put him at the top of a lot of people's minds when it comes to center fielders. The only reason I had him a bit lower on my list is it's just still unknown with the offense. And I think the offense is going to be very critical for this team. We all know what the defense is. The defense is going to be top echelon. The record shows it that when he's in the lineup, they win games. And when he's not, they lose games. And you can't deny that. But they got to get more consistent offense from him. And I think if you can have him hitting in the eight or nine hole this season and he can be effective as a secondary leadoff man. Somebody smart said that once, T-Bone. Thank you. Um that's where the, I think he can be a lot more critical. I also, the only reason I had him there was because I just think there's a lot more impactful players that if they don't show up this season, the Cardinals won't be making the playoffs. If they don't have the offense from Harrison Bader, the defense can still help this team win games. There's other guys that if you don't have their offense, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, and I had him up on the, in the top 10 because, I mean, he took strides offensively at the plate. He hit well against right-handed pitching last year, uh, as BK alluded to. And then if you want to even dive a little bit deeper into it and look at some of his splits, Look, breaking ball was his Achilles heel heading into last season. You look at 2020, he hit 205 against the breaking ball. Last season, against off-speed pitches and the breaking pitch, 254. So he's making the strides at the plate, and you could see it last year. It used to be I thought he was just a mistake uh, hitter on breaking balls, where it was a hanging slider. That's the only thing he could hit. He proved that he could uh, at least make adjustments last year, and especially against right-handed pitching. He's not an easy out anymore at the plate, and his offense has improved to where he is that second leadoff guy. If you're going to hit him or today, he's hitting the leadoff for the Cardinals in their spring training game. Now, granted, some of the regulars are not in the lineup, but don't be shocked if he gets a little bit of a look at the leadoff spot this year for the Cardinals against especially left-handed pitching if Carlson struggles against lefties and they don't want to hit Goldie leadoff. So there's a chance of that. He's got stolen base potential. You saw the outfield was a mess without him last year, and I think that improved, that showed his importance for this team because the Cardinals did not win without him, and the outfield just becomes, uh, I don't want to say it's bad without him, but it's not as elite. 
because Harrison Bader is one of the best defensive center fielders in the game and him winning a gold glove proved that last year. Carlson's just not as good a center fielder. He's better off in a corner spot in right field. And last year when you didn't have Bader, you had Justin Williams, Austin Dean in the outfield. And the same will be said this year. Lars Newpart, look, he's a great fourth outfielder. I don't want to go through a stretch in which I have to start him in right field because I've had to shift Dylan Carlson to center field. Same with Corey Dickerson and all the other guys that are in the minor league system. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 3-1-4. Guys, according to MLB Network, Harrison Bader is not only not a top 10 center fielder, he was ranked closer to 13th or 14th. Yeah, and I thought that ri- list was ridiculous. Like the, the idea that Harrison Bader going into this season would not be considered a top 10 center fielder. I, I just don't agree with that. In I baseball? don't agree with that assessment. Yes. I, I would have him in the top 10 right now. I'm just trying to think of like other center field because that's the thing. Like there's just not any prolific names in terms of center fielders. In I mean, baseball. Mike Trout, of Mike course, Trout would Mike be Trout. the guy that immediately comes to mind for most people. But I mean, beyond that, I feel like there's a lot of guys that are on the same wavelength as the others, unless Buxton, I'm missing Luis Robert with the White Sox if he's healthy. Yeah, Buxton for sure. But he's a guy that's but never healthy. Right. But you're right. That, but that's uh, that's what I'm saying. Like there, there's a lot of guys that are just in the same wavelength. So Harrison Bader, in my opinion, has already started to move towards this top ten in Major League Baseball. But I just think you have to have some and, consistency this season to be there consistently. And look, it's no, it's no tell that the Cardinals were. If I'm looking at this correctly, 61 and 40 when Harrison Bader was in the starting lineup. Uh, that, that that's not a small sample size. That tells you that this team is better off when Harrison Bader's in that line of providing stability to the infield. And that's why I had him so high on my list in terms of how important he was for this season. I think last year I had him pretty low. I know he was in my top 20 for sure, but I think I had him very low because it just said, ah, if he plays good defense, it doesn't matter. Look, he can provide something at the plate now too. I mean, we talked about it uh, earlier in the offseason. He's a guy that has home run potential of what, 20 home runs? I mean, you could easily see him get into that this year. He has the pop. He can hit for the average. And he's got the speed to be a 20 to 30 stolen base guy. I mean, you have that in your outfield, plus he's providing elite defense. I mean, he just makes it, he's a difference maker, and that's what the Cardinals need that's in center field. Ronald, Ronald Acuna Jr., he's a corner outfielder, isn't he? He's yeah, he left plays field. mostly right. I was going to say, he's not center. Yeah. Um, right, Soto's not either. They're top 10 players in uh, over on MLB Network, for what it's worth, at, at center field for this season. And this is going into the year. This isn't based on exclusively on what they did a year ago. I think that's probably an important context here. What they had on the list was Mike Trout, George Springer, Byron Buxton, Brian Reynolds, uh, Luis Robert, Starling Marte. Cedric Mullins was at number seven. I think all of those, I would even agree with a lot of people. You could put them above Harrison Bader. I've got no argument against any of those guys. Here's where it gets a little more interesting. Cody Bellinger at number eight. I would not have him above Harrison Bader right now. How could you? What his previous uh, production was like three years ago? Sure, absolutely. I'm right there with you. But what he is right now, why would I have him above Harrison Bader? Uh, Ramon, I apologize on the pronunciation here. Loriano, he's at number nine on this list. He's not all that different in terms of what he's done the last few years compared to Harrison Bader. Now, early on in his career, 2019, he was excellent at the plate. Had an 860 OPS. The last two years, though, he's batting an average of 235. And I'll take Harrison Bader's defense if you're telling me that I'm getting a guy that's a little bit of a liability at the plate. And then at number 10 on their list was Adam Duvall. Give me Harrison Bader over Duvall Duvall every day of the week because of the defense. I don't think Duvall's really a center fielder. He's more of a corner He probably should be, but in that outfield, he was asked to do it because they didn't have a a guy that they trusted to be in center field. 
So, yeah, I would have Harrison Bader right now going into the season at number eight on that list. From the 314, shocker, the soft serve media St. Louis is upset their baby boy didn't get the attention. You're like an ice cream, BK. You're soft serve. I got this for the 314. Boom. I guess you don't know good baseball because Harrison Bader is a great center fielder. Boom. Roast 65780 him. is the air cup service X line from the 636. Guys, rating a center fielder cannot be just about defense alone. Offense is one of the most important factors for any position. I'm totally with you. What I'm saying is I think we underrate what Harrison Bader does offensively. I think Harrison Bader the last three years, really, there's one bad season in there. It's been pretty good pretty good overall it's not perfect and it's probably never going to be perfect but he could easily this season hit you 20 home runs steal you 15 bags finish the year with a 250 uh, batting average with a good enough pop and if he's batting ninth in your lineup and he's playing gold glove defense in center field my god that's a perfect guy to have at the bottom of your order i said this last year harrison bader does not have to hit for me to want to sign him to a contract extension because he provides elite defense his defense was his biggest difference maker heading into last season now that he's providing some spark to the offense you can even add that into his repertoire but i'm not giving that guy 11 million dollars per year unless i have some offensive upside what he's done, what he did last year, if that becomes consistent. I'd give him that, but I got to see that consistently. Totally. Because fair. I can't have that one year and then three more years of him hitting. But that's the same thing I'm going to say about Tyler O'Neill. I cannot just give Tyler O'Neill a contract extension until I see it again that, this year. But that's why I didn't want to give him a contract extension because I got to see it. He hasn't stayed healthy and he hasn't showcased that MVP potential for consecutive seasons. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by Joey Vitale. We want to break down what he saw from the game last night. Is this just a matter of the Blues matching up well against Vancouver, as we've seen the last couple of games and really for the last couple of years? Or is this a situation where the Blues actually have gotten back to their game? We'll ask Joey Vitale that coming up in about 10 minutes. Questions and nope, not questions and answers. Believe it or not, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax slide coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm up on top of the world. <laughs> All right, fine. It's all great from a cold you guys don't need to hear it can, can i start off believe it or not today 65780 is the air comfort service tax line joey vitale joining us coming up in about 10 minutes or so believe it or not tanner's jerseys were girls medium size oh it's child medium that's unfair do girls and, uni- unisex girls and boys wear the same medium, unisex, right yeah Right? I'm not going to comment towards the texture. <laughs> 65780 is the game. air comfort service text line. Let's start out with this one. Believe it or not, Tyler O'Neill will be a 30-30 player for the Cardinals this season. 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases for the Cards I like this, this, this text had to explain what 30-30 was because <laughs> they didn't think we knew what that was. Uh, I'll believe this one. I... Somebody just tweeted me and said, ah, Ferrario thinks Bader's going to steal 20 bags. He's only got nine in his career. Yeah, but they got Skip Schumacher now who's going to. He's Im- only got nine in his career? Uh, That's not true. I mean, we're, we're going off of a, somebody who tweeted me that. Like, come on now. I mean, Harrison Bader, if you go by the per 162 game averages over the last four seasons, 
has averaged 15 stolen bases per year. So, Mr. Joe Cooper, I don't know where you got your information from, but I think Skip Schumacher is going to embrace the speed, and I think the that Tyler O'Neill could hit this 30-30 plateau. And heck, he was at 15 last year, and the Cardinals didn't really run a whole exactly. lot. Exactly. So. If she wa- if 30's a lot. Yeah, I know. If Skip does, Edmund got there, though, and the Cardinals didn't run a lot. Yeah. So if, if, if the problem is, is will a, cl- well, a number three hitter be doing that a and lot? And Tyler O'Neill's going to be hitting a lot of home runs, so he's not going to need to steal yeah. bases. I think he'll hit the 30 home runs. I agree with that. I, I'm not going to believe this. I don't think he'll get to 30 stolen bases. I think he'll get close. I think he'll get like 30-25. 30-15. I, I think he'll get close enough to where we're talking about it in August, September, about the projection showing him getting there and then he just kind of tails off a little bit in terms of him running. So I'm not going to believe this. Just seems incredibly unlikely to me. And that's no shot against Tyler O'Neill. I just, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to get there um, in terms of the stolen bases. I think he'll get the home runs. I think he'll get the 30. I think he'll I, get close to it though. I, I think I, he could get 20, 20 stolen bases feels like it's in play for me. So the, the only guy who's had more than 25 stolen bases and 30 home runs in an individual season, this is according to baseball reference for the Cardinals, is Ray Lankford. He had 26 steals, 31 home runs in 1998. God, what a crazy summer. That, the fact that that team wasn't very good is unbelievable to me. Um, I, I'm going to say I don't believe this. That's too many stolen bases for Tyler O'Neill. Who would be the first team, first player in franchise history to do that? Well, sounds like it's about to happen. 65780 is the air cover service. Believe it or not, Jordan Hicks will finish the season leading the Cardinals in saves. Oh, I'm not believing that. Giovanni Gallegos is the guy. Even if Jordan Hicks gets back up to the level where he could close games, they're not going to use him in that position. I think what he's dealt with in the off seasons with the injury and uh, the velocity that he throws with, I think they're going to switch Jordan Hicks. This could be the year that they start transitioning him towards being a guy in the rotation. So I'm not going to believe this one. See, that's what's weird is the Cardinals have been saying that, but they haven't really built him up. No, I don't. But it's hard to, and he's hurt every year. I no, no, I get that. But I'm saying like this year, they've said that they were going to build up Jordan Hicks, and they haven't really yet. For what it's he, I saw comments from him recently, and he said it was never realistic for him to be built up as a starter this year. Okay. Which, yeah, you've been hurt for the last yes, two seasons. Uh, absolutely. This was my argument all offseason was this doesn't make any sense. The way that you do that is by sending him down to the minors. If he's healthy enough to pitch, you have to have him in the majors because he's such a weapon coming out of the pen. It was just realistic. And the other part that makes this one difficult is the fact of, and me and BK discussed this, and I don't agree with this, but are you really going to do what Ollie Marmola said where he's going to use his best reliever and Giovanni Gallegos? In like the seventh inning, if it comes down to that's the spot to use him, but I will, I won't believe this. I think Giovanni Gallegos is going to lead this team in saves. Hicks may have a couple, but I think Giovanni's got a, has the potential to be a thirty-plus save guy. I think Hicks will have more than Alex Reyes, and I think Hicks will have more than Henry Cabrera. I think he'll be second on the team in saves mm-hmm. this year. I do not think he will lead the team in saves because I think they'll most of the time use Giovanni Gallegos. We talked about this the other day. There will be specific situations where I think it makes sense to go to Gallegos in the seventh inning, but that's when you're going against a team such as the Brewers, where you've got a clear cut three, four guys in the lineup that can hurt you. And they're coming up in the seventh or eighth inning. And you use Gallegos in that spot, as opposed to bringing him in in the ninth to face guys that are not quite as much of a threat to you pitching wise. And that's where Hicks could absolutely come in for the ninth. And he's had the history. He's coming in the ninth inning before he had a great season as a closer. It makes sense to use him in that role. But I don't think that's going to be a regular occurrence. So I will go with a not believing it. Hicks will not lead the Cardinals in saves this year. Believe it or not, guys, Dennis Gates gets Mizzou into the NCAA tournament this upcoming year. I'm not believing it. I got one. I got a thing for this. Good one. 
I, I'm not believing that. I, 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 I'd say within the next three years, he will be in the NCAA tournament with two Mizzou. Years. Two years. I will say within the next three years, he will be in the NCAA tournament. I, you just got you to gotta build it. I, the I SEC is loaded. And he has like, what, two guys returning for this year? Well, more than that. You've got Kobe Brown. Boogie Coleman, as of now, is still on the team. Omar Davis, as of now, is still on the team. Ronnie uh, Ronnie DeGray is still on the team. Caleb Brown is okay. still on the team. Two of so those guys, I, I know who they are. So Let's not act like they were good with those two guys. Two of those guys. Like Even year. if you go crazy in the transfer portal this year, I think you could be effective. But I still think you got to get some like actual recruits. So I'll say within the next three years, he will be in one. But I'm not going to believe it for this season. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he can get them there this year. So I'm not going to believe this. It's going to be a lot tougher to turn around a program like Missouri in the SEC, unlike what he did in Cleveland State. What he did in Cleveland State was very impressive, going to what you said, what was it, like two guys were on the roster, and and he's able to turn it around, and he ends up being coach of the year twice and gets them to one NCAA tournament appearance, right? So Mm. that's impressive, but when you go to a bigger league like the SEC, it's going to be hard, especially the way Arkansas is all of a sudden showing up. I think I saw, I think Dave Matter had this tweet yesterday. Six top 150 recruits, and now they added Trevon Brazil, Mizzou's best player last year. They've only had Five, I think it was five top or five five star commits in the past. Three of the five are this coming season. So Arkansas is loading up. Kentucky's going to be there. Auburn's going to be there. Tennessee will still be there. So uh, it's going to be tough in the SEC. I'm not, I'm not going to believe this. I will go not believing this either. I do think they're going to be closer to like a 500 team this upcoming year, and that for them is a huge win compared to where they were a year ago. I don't think they're going to get to the NCAA tournament. I think you might be able to see them in the NIT, though. Just don't get blown up by Liberty. That's a success for me. That's a success for me. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're getting to the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. We got to talk about Alexi Torpchenko and Nathan Walker, what they did last night, what it means for them the rest of this season. We'll do that at 145. We'll also talk about those two with Joey Vitale coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Western Canada. That's what I've heard from all of the hockey players. This is the road trip that they look forward to all yeah, year long. Not Florida in the middle of December. Nope, nope. It's Western Canada in late March, early April. It's beautiful this time of year. In all seriousness, I've heard Vancouver's beautiful. Edmonton, Calgary, I don't know. Let's check in with Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network, joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joey, how you doing today, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. <laughs> Shut up, shut up, stop it. I'm mad, I'm mad, it's cold. No, no Joey chant today. I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a bad mood. It's freezing up here at Edmonton. How do people live in the city? I just don't get it. I, I mean, thank God they have the Oilers here. I I am miserable. I mean, It's 45 degrees up there. Joey, the, the fact that I heard the wind blowing in your phone when you started saying shut up. I, I literally, I'm trying to get to the rink. I'm at the stop and duck into a building so I can do this because it's just so freaking windy. I don't know. Like, listen, guys, I'm not into politics. I, I don't follow all this stuff. People keep talking about those global warming things. So they're like, ever since I was born, what are they talking about? I have been like 
trying to thaw my body out since like the end of November. I, I can't get a break. There's no sun. There's it's never getting warmer. Tell those people just to shut up. I don't know. I just don't get Joe, it. Joe, are you a, are you a bath guy or a shower guy? Because if you just go sit in a nice hot bath, you'll you'll warm up. A, a hot hot tub or a sauna yeah. or something. But nowadays, you go to these hotels, you got to pay for everything. Everything used to be come with the service. Joey, weren't you just telling us about how New York had all of these great <laughs> amenities? Like two weeks ago, the wind is blowing. <laughs> yeah, Are you I'm okay, New York? I'm going to step into a building here, guys. I apologize. That was just ridiculous. I don't know how. Honestly, if it didn't have Connor McDavid, that was still playing. Like They would say, hey, you want to come play to Edmonton? I'm like, unless you pay me $10 million, no, I will never, ever, ever come to Edmonton. But no, it's, uh, oh, I tell you what, yeah, I'm going to step into this building here. Oh, that's much better. Warmth. Warmth is good. Oh, how you doing, Joe? I, I need your expert opinion on this, buddy, because I felt personally attacked last night. Um, I, I had my my backwards dad cap on, and Randy Carricker had to put a quote tweet out that said, "At what age are you too old to wear a backwards cap?" Joey, are you with me? Backward caps are still in, my man. Ooh, I mean, on camera, Alex, yeesh, that really you really, you really put yourself out there. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I would I would have done that. But I will say uh, the backwards lid for me, I think it does try to keep me young. My wife always yells at me to kind of flip it around, and I think we're too old. I think, I think, I think 25, 26 is maybe, maybe it. The only time I actually flip my lid around backwards is when I'm doing push-ups at the gym where the bill keeps hitting the floor because I'm so jacked and I go all the way down. I don't cheat on my push-ups. Well, that's what well, I was doing before that video, Joe. <laughs> I want you don't know. <laughs> I'll flip it around then, but uh, no, nah, backwards lids, Alex. I think I got to take Randy's side on this one. I think I think it's time to grow up, Peter Pan. All right, well, that's just because he gives you carrot cake, Joe. Well, you know who would be eligible to wear one is Robert Thomas. He's under the age of 25, and Joey, what a hell of a game by Robert Thomas last night, and this is nothing new for him. He's been great for this team this year. What have you seen in terms of the development from him? What What is the next step that he's taken in your mind this season? I think his skating really has just uh, taken off to a whole new level this year. Um, so fast on the outright speed, like we saw last night. I mean, listen, he beat Quinn Hughes on a 50-50 puck down the ice. I mean, Quinn Hughes is one of the best skaters in the National Hockey League, and he kind of made him look like he was sitting still. So it's the outright speed that's really important, which I've seen the development for him this year. But I think also it's that, that, that quick button-up speed. You know, he, he could be going so fast, and his ability to turn on a dive and, and elude uh, defenders or kind of escape defenders to me is something that really has, has jumped off the page this year. And, and I think that you, you look at the, the quick turnups and the button ups and the creativity that he has, and then his ability to always be kind of looking around and see what that next wave is. So I think that happened at the beginning of the year after he got some really good rest this summer, really spent a, a good summer kind of dedicating himself to his body, which he hasn't been able to do because he's always constantly playing in championship caliber games late into June and July or last few years. But now he, he's got that ability to do that. His body is kind of now being connected with his, he, his head and his hands. And then you throw that on top of the fact that he threw Vladimir Tarasenko, one of the best goal scorers in the National Hockey League, on his wing, which he hasn't had the luxury to have. And this is no disrespect to the Zach Sanfords, the Pat Maroons, and the Tyler Bozaks at times, but he, he is now playing with an elite goal scorer. So I think that's got to give him more confidence where you, he knows when he makes those plays and makes those passes, for the most part, they're going to end up in the back of the net. Speaking of confidence, Joe, I mean, confidence has to be at an all-time high for some of these fourth liners. Mackenzie McEachern, Nathan Walker had themselves a great game yesterday. And then Alexei Torpchenko, who was put up into that Jordan Cairo spot, and once again, he was noticeable. Yeah, you're going to need depth. This is a big time of the year. I mean, I always said that, you know, when you're looking at less than 20 games left, 
but more than 10. Between that 10 and 20 left, which the Blues are sitting right in right now, this is this is a tough, tough stretch. I mean, you're not quite to the last bend. You don't see the light. You kind of see the glimmer around the corner, but you don't see it just yet. Um, and you know you're not in the final month quite yet. We will be tomorrow. But I think this is the time where you need depth guys. You need young guys, energy guys, guys to step up, come up from the minors, and to play big minutes, and then and then actually c- contribute. I mean, that that's the big thing, right? I mean, you're, yes, you would love it for a fourth line to go out there and, and to be physical and a hit and spend some time in the offensive zone, get an offensive faceoff here and there, maybe be able to shut down a top line or two every now and then, but, but be, pro- be productive. I mean, look at Nathan Walker, his sixth goal um, since getting called up this year. I can't think of many games off one hand that he has gotten called up that he has not made an impact on. So uh, you love the fact that Nathan Walker's been playing well. That was a big game for Mackenzie McEachern, playing with speed, his physicality. You like to think that that assist on that Nathan Walker game when he goes in to give him even just a little bit more confidence uh, because they're finding some chemistry there with that Logan Brown right in the middle right there. I really like that line. It's been it's given Craig Berube the ability for them to kind of step over the boards and take some shifts there and to roll four lines and to give the top three a little bit of rest. And one of the biggest reasons why he was able to do that last night, the Blues only take one penalty. I mean, that, that's a big one. And as you get talk about playoff hockey and get closer and closer to that kind of playoff um, first week of May, you really got to tighten things up defensively because um, you don't want to find yourself in the box. You got to keep your sticks down and feet moving. And that allows you to roll those four lines right over. Joey, we'll get you out of here on this. The Blues looked much better in their last two games, but both of those games came against Vancouver. And so something I've been curious about with Alex, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. How much of this was just, it's a really good matchup, the Blues going up against Vancouver versus the Blues actually finding their game again. And I think we're going to find that out against Edmonton and Calgary to be sure. But where do you fall on this? How much of this was the matchup versus the Blues actually finding their game again and being able to sustain this? You know, I think it was the matchup, uh, certainly with Vancouver, who they've done very well against this year. Um, obviously, you know, sweeping the series um, against a team they just, for whatever reason, have looked very good against. Billy Huso has played great minutes against all three of the games for Vancouver as well, uh, getting all three wins. So that's number one. I actually think more importantly, why the Blues have found their games over the last couple of days, I think you actually got to go back three games ago when they got embarrassed by the Carolina Hurricanes on home ice. I think that kind of sparked something. I think whether they were playing Vancouver or Tampa or Florida, I don't think it really mattered who they played to follow up that Carolina game because I think it was such an embarrassing loss on home ice against a team that was struggling, falling behind in the standings as Minnesota and Nashville and Dallas were all winning. You were still losing. And then to lose like that, I mean, yes, I get that it was two empty netters and you lose that game 7-2, but it's still not a, not, not a great performance. And I think – you know, not all losses are created the same now, BK, and you know that because I think if you lose that game in overtime three to two, you don't. It doesn't quite have the impact on these players and coaching staff like it would if you lose seven two. I've been in those locker rooms before. When you get shellacked like that, it is embarrassing. It's a it's a, a shot to the gut, right of your ego. You know, come to the rink the next day, it's going to be a tough meeting. They're going to be dealing with a lot of clips. A lot of things went wrong. It's going to be a humbling meeting, and I think the Blues players all went through that after that Carolina game because it was that bad. So sometimes you do need uh, to lose, and sometimes it's best when you lose to get embarrassed like that because it really could kind of spark something in a new direction, and I think that's what happened after that Carolina game. They really got a lot of things back on track over the last two for Vancouver. Defensively, very tight. Everyone seems very connected. Staying out of the box. They're getting the save when they need to. So long story short, what I'm trying to say is every now and then you do need a bad loss like they had against Carolina to kind of get something going in a new direction. He's Joey Vitale. You'll hear him on the call. Blues versus Edmonton tomorrow night. Joey's very excited to be in Edmonton right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got to go back outside. I got to go back outside to the rink. I can't believe I go back outside. Oh, my God. Joey, thanks for doing this, buddy. Stay safe out there. Yeah. 
Sea Boys. Yeah. You got it. That's Joey Vitale joining us live from Edmonton. <laughs> Sound like a defeated man there at the end. <laughs> Here on 101 ESPN. Puck drop tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Puck drop on Saturday night. Alex is looking forward to that one at 9 o'clock. Coming up next, we're getting to the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, 101ESPN.com. The free 101ESPN app is where you find it. Also, be sure to follow us on TikTok at 101ESPN. Yeah. Apparently, we're doing a push for that. So, are TikTok we? is okay. where you can find us now at 101ESPN. T-Bone's doing if a dance later for it. Oh, you yeah. are over there. Uh, be sure Getting to do that. with it. Alex, I know you've got something you need to tell the kind people as well. That's right. I was excited to be a part of the ribbon cutting ceremony a couple of days ago out at the new sports book over at DraftKings at Casino Queen. I think there was a news story on it as well. It's big time, folks. So make sure you go check out this new sports book as they've got the new area, 6,000 square feet, state-of-the-art facility, 28 HD televisions, 60-foot video wall, specialty food and drink options, stadium-style lounge seating. All this is going to give you an experience like no other here in St. Lewis, be sure to go check them out ASAP and heck go out there for the final four this weekend and make some bets on Duke pulling out a championship victory. You could bet on Duke or you could bet on Alexi Torpchenko being the oh, next Oscar Sunquist for the Blues. Alex, I was very impressed last night. Alexi Torpchenko finished the game with 1537 uh, on the ice. This was his first real opportunity to be a top nine winger for the Blues. I thought he was really good. Uh, I know he finished the game as a minus one. I don't much care. He was impactful. He was consistently playing that north-south style that Craig Berube has talked about. He was a predictable player on the ice. He fit in very well with Barbie and Shin on that line. I know Jamie was mentioning throughout the game. That line, especially after the first period, really impressed him. I don't think he's going to be a guy that consistently gets top nine minutes, both this year or in the future. But I think he's earned himself into the lineup. I think he is a guy that needs to be out there for every game from now until whatever the season ends. And next year, if he continues playing even close to where he's at right now, I think he's a guy that comes into camp expecting to make the team as a fourth line winger for you. Oh, I I think he's already solidified himself as a fourth line player for the next few seasons until his contract is up. Uh, To me, last night, he solidified his spot in the playoffs because he was noticeable. And Bobby Plager used to say it all the time. When you're a fourth liner, you just got to be noticeable. And he was. He created two scoring chances off of just his speed and size alone. That's one thing that he has that not a lot of other players have. You know, Jordan Kyrou's got the speed. But he doesn't have the size. Torpchenko's got both of those things, and he can create offense. I think what you're seeing right now is the evolution of the next Oscar Sundquist. In my personal opinion, Alexei Torpchenko is going to be able to take over that role that Craig Berube said was the key to the uh, engine for this Blues team. So keep an eye on Torpchenko because I think he's going to be very impactful, as well as Nathan Walker. I give you a lot of crap. You talked about the next uh, Hull and Oates. I don't think that we ended up seeing that. Well, I got Oates correct. Credit to you. You were calling Torpchenko before the season. I remember in a Ferrari 05, you brought him up as a guy that could impact the season. I hadn't heard about the gentleman before that, really, other than what I had 
I heard from him just literally being on the ice. A lot of people I, I just talked a little about his game. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's been a really impactful player for this team. It's been good to see. I hope he's able to continue that. We will watch him tomorrow night in action against Edmonton. We will be back tomorrow at eleven a.m. The fast lane coming up next. Hashtag winner. I think Robert, <laughs> I think Robert hashtag winning. I think is the way that it was supposed to go. Oh, um, Charlie, you see your hashtag. Runs. I'll do mine. <laughs> You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.